In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Listen to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Conlon, and so am I. <laughs> uh, I'm Nathan, uh, and we have another very special episode. We have the 1970 Le Cercle Rouge, which means the Red Circle. Yep. So we came about this one because I, I I vaguely heard about it in other podcasts, but we had when we were watching the Criterion Collection stuff for American Greed Factory, we'd watch this guy's one of this guy's movie called uh la samurai yeah which i really liked that so i was like well cool i'll just watch another one of his movies his uh, last movie as it turns out oh it is okay i didn't actually look that up uh jean pierre melville i'm not trying to say that <laughs> with a french accent uh you <laughs> don't because he took melville from hervin melville because that was his name when he was uh, fighting against the uh germans and the french underground <laughs> so he, his favorite author was was Herman Melville. Oh, okay. So he just took the name because he liked Moby Dick. <laughs> Came out October 20th, 1970. This is also written by Jean-Pierre Melville. Because cinematographer is... And it looks like Henry Dessaie or something. But you're supposed to say it like, Henri Decay. <laughs> Henri Decay. It's like he did? No, his name... <laughs> It's gonna decay, huh? Uh, at least that's what some ignorant, that's, stupid Americans. <laughs> that's what some uh, internet AI pronunciation things said it was supposed to sound like. So <laughs> who knows? Well, yeah, I mean, all those French things are like, it's it's the language I have the most experience speaking. But the you know I don't I'm not very knowledgeable about. But I know like those yeah all those things are like. Uh, Oh uh, yeah, like like you know, like Henry Decay, like you know, it's it's always like Henri, oh, like you're, you're you're like speaking from way down here to say yeah. anything H. I was surprised well, yeah, yeah. watching this movie, like how much French I remembered, because you know I'm always doing stuff watching movies, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying. Like I didn't look up to read the you know, su- I mean not that I speak it fluently or anything, but it's like yeah, yeah, I know what well, the words are saying. You know? And there's only it's 15 like, minutes of dialogue in the whole movie. Yeah, so yeah, that's not, what I was going to say. There's not a lot yeah. of talking in this movie. Yeah, I felt really French watching this. Like, oh, wee, oui, wee. Oui, yeah, yeah. Uh, cast uh, Alain Delin. <laughs> oh, Delin. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that's the guy from Le Samurai. <laughs> one guy just has one name. and It's like Boraville or something. Like, I don't know how to say that. That's cool. The guy just has one name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he plays the uh, the inspector. And then... Guillen Maria Valante, who is uh, Vogel, which I don't know. Like that's kind of the difficult thing watching this movie because I was confused right up front because I thought they were doing flashbacks. I was like, wait, these guys look way different. This isn't the same guy, is it? It's like, no, it's not the same guy. No, it isn't. <laughs> Believe it or not. Oh, but they're connected in some way tangentially. Like they know about each other and their situations. Yeah, nope. really. <laughs> uh, I mean. 
that's sort of the 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 opening kind of like promises something so that's what i think there's like an opening thing that basically it promises this is all going to come together so you're you're basically just supposed to be like oh this will make sense eventually (laughs) well because remember the buddha drew a circle with a a red pencil and said when men even unknowingly are able to meet one day whatever may befall them wherever path they take they will inevitably come together in the red circle and it's like oh wow that's cool and deep it's like yeah melville made that up buddha never said that but it's cool (laughs) it's that it's like that's great because it's like uh, that sound that, that that's like my fake Bible stuff I come up with all the time. <laughs> it's like, oh, I love that. <laughs> Watch, I guess it's a trick that he, I guess he also used in the Samurai. Yes. which he quoted a, tr- a, a a quote that wasn't actually real, um, which actually is a thing that happens throughout all of film. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, because you're always like, how did they come up with that perfect? Where did they find this perfect quote? It's like, well, they made it up. No. <laughs> No, if they found the perfect, this is why I'm torturing myself as an artist for for 20 years. Is they came up with this perfect? It's like no, they just made that shit, man. Why does it like work? The- it's because the movie was cool. That's why. It's like you just want to believe in it. That's how it actually works. I, I think it's funnier when they lie and it works better than when like somebody's like really serious and like here's a quote from something from Shakespeare and they're being totally serious and yeah. like the movie sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love like that movie with uh it, it, it just like uh Shakespeare's worst play, like Titus. It was or his weirdest yeah. one. I love that movie because Julie Taymor is nuts and it's a great looking <laughs> movie. And Anthony Hopkins is just like oh, it's like Hannibal Lecter if he was a Roman and kind of emotional. And I always quote from that movie, and it's like I know all the Shakespeare stuff, and I know that's his worst one, but it's so <laughs> cool. You just want to like. Yeah. Yes, I tell my sorrows to the stones, and, and my tears make them look like 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 they're dressed in, in clothing, and they're trying with me because my tears they soak into this. It's like the weirdest imagery ever. It's like I'm just going with it because it's cool, and my bosses love it when I quote Shakespeare to them at work. It's like whatever. Just get, trying to just get the job done. Just like they they quit making eye contact. They're like just. Whatever you're doing, just as long as the job gets done. <laughs> I get it. You're smarter than me, and you're beneath me. It's a weird dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, you don't like this, do you? This is how communism <laughs> happens. <laughs> uh, Nathan, do you have a history with this movie? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a history with like all kinds of... Because this is like considered what the spiritual... This guy's considered like the spirit father of French New Wave. As, uh, oh, I can't remember. He kind of died he before it. There's it a movie like, called Relentless that's kind of like the progenitor of that. I'm not sure if he did that or not. Uh, um, no, I don't think. I don't know. I don't think he did. I mean, he's probably in. The, he's probably in. He's probably in there. Yeah, he's probably one of the one of the people because it's not just. Well, one no, I learned in my it. like artsy fartsy class um, classes that I took about film. Well, you know, I learned about two things: what it's what it was like to live on a kibbutz in Israel in the '60s, which that was kind of cool because I would never <laughs> have learned that otherwise. And I learned about like French New Wave and and all that. And I I've like seen all these movies. So yeah, I watched this while everyone else was having pot brownies in like the early 2000s. I was actually trying to like watch this movie to write a cool paper on it because <laughs> I wanted to take the next class. Because I I don't know if, how they do it now, but I know if you want to do like art and film classes, like you you have to pass the previous one to go on to the next one, or you got to retake it. You know, you can't just 
like oh i failed this one but i did that one it's like it's you know they all work that way but they're real real stringent about it for some reason at one time so it's like i was trying to do a good job i didn't realize you could just make stuff up <laughs> uh but once i found out you could then i made i made it all the way through <laughs> so uh and obviously didn't learn a lot based on how i review movies but you know it was a fun ride so oh, that's my man. history with this movie is like Lots of people on pot brownies and me like taking <laughs> notes. Like, you want some of this? No, I've got to take these notes. It's like you're getting an A already. You came to our house. It's like that's an A. It's like oh no, I'm taking notes. I don't think I've ever seen this movie before. But there's been sometimes where I, I you know flip the channel through like deep cable and you find some weird stuff. Oh yeah. And the, th- and the thing I thought this was at one point because I remember there was like some movie where they like, they have to defeat a bunch of like security devices in a heist and at one point they use like foam to like defeat like vibration stuff but uh-huh. i was like what the hell is that movie and like i went through i put like british heist films and all that stuff and then eventually i found like a wikipedia article on like basically all heist movies and i eventually found it it was called grand slam <laughs> okay uh it's some like it's some like 60s heist movie where they go to rio de janeiro and like rob like some kind of like super high-end jewelry i don't know bank or something like that um anyways that's what i thought this movie might have been but it wasn't but i don't know so i have to like look in that movie sometime because i just remember there was cool stuff in there where it was just like oh wow every moment they have to like find cool ways to defeat the the things they put up but like nobody talks about this movie and it's probably because it sucks but i just remember when you're younger you think like you know, those things are cool or it's like ah this attention to detail is being paid <laughs> yeah but there's no story structure and the characters all suck but yeah they did this one thing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this movie led to like oh i forget um what was the friedkin film i always wanted us to do and we i don't think we ever did it uh, sorcerer okay oh yeah, yeah. Well, we did it one time a long time ago but yeah it was, uh, it was like not the best well thing. i i had well I, it was like weird to get because I had to like get I had to like rent it from Netflix when I used to have like a Netflix DVD rental part because uh, it wasn't streaming anywhere and it wasn't available for purchase. That might have changed now, but yeah, yeah. Because I remember because that because there was a movie called The Wages of Fear shot in the fifties. Same premise pretty much, but it was a French movie, and it had I remember like that like this this movie and the Samurai led me to wages of fear which then led me to sorcerer which uh you know led me to like all kinds of like you know william friedkin and french new wave rabbit holes that we were kind of both going down weirdly at the same time i think it was before we started podcasting but yeah yeah i remember like yeah all these movies kind of run together so that's my history with this movie is all these movies in the background that i also uh you know watched and (laughs) thought i understood or really got a charge out of them because both the wages of fear and sorcerer are great movies but i can see why people would not just want to spend a whole weekend like screening these movies (laughs) uh it's one of these things it's like oh it's 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 what i put in the nathan likes category where it's like well i'm gonna really have to hard sell this to anyone so i'm just gonna keep this as something i do myself (laughs) yeah people don't like when there's ambiguous endings or endings where it's like somebody went through a, a lot of hardship and in the end <laughs> failed they're, anyway. they're destroyed for it yeah you don't like that but then i want to ask them like have you lived life any at all <laughs> are you familiar with this world that we live in 
I don't want my movies to reflect my life. I want them to reflect a fantasy of possibility. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's that's why you're disappointed and angry all the time because you watch these <laughs> movies and you think you watch these happy movies and you think, yeah, I will get the girl and win the championship. And it's, it's, no, even the people that do aren't happy. So there's always there's always something else, some little demon on your shoulder, like no, 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 no. I've known people that are multi-millionaires many times over have more money than they could ever spend and there's still this little guy like nah, 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 you know it's like you're never really happy <laughs> so just be a loser that's you know that's the best way oh that was funny i guess i found out the other you know that uh like statistic about like like something like over it's like over 70 percent of people that win the lottery are bankrupt within five years yeah yeah apparently that's just made up <laughs> yeah of course it is it's ridiculous <laughs> Telling me everyone who wins a lottery turns into a drug addict and a whoremonger immediately. <laughs> like, that only has so much efficacy. Now, when that happens, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a firework with, like, special editions. Like, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. It's like, ah, that's amazing. Uh, but also, just like, this, there's also just this weird ongoing propaganda, uh, you know, clearly, clearly purported like almost freelance style like they're just they're just unconsciously joined together to create this propaganda that you can't give poor people money because they don't know what to do with yeah exactly <laughs> just keep them poor that's when they're happiest <laughs> there's other arguments like about things that used to go on this country around slavery where people make those same arguments and it's like are you serious dude really you're saying that out loud to another person okay i'm not going to repeat it that's for the Duck Dynasty guys to do, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. So, anyways, we have Act One, and yeah, we have the uh, the Nathan read it out loud. Or it has a has a little like clay pot of Buddha as yes. it's spinning around with this quote on screen. And of Want course, me to read it again. I love it. No, well, sure, go ahead. If you want. Let, me, let me bring it up. Let me. Should I do like British accent? Oh. No. The Buddha. I don't know if that'd make it. The Buddha drew a circle with a piece of red chalk and said, "When men, even unknowingly," are to meet one day whatever may befall each whatever the diverging paths on that said day they will inevitably inevitably come together in the red circle it's like that's cool and then you find out <laughs> it's he made it up it's like that's even yeah. cooler <laughs> well yeah it's like it's a captivating sentence but it doesn't mean it that doesn't make any sense no it's there's like... no reason why would they meet in the red circle <laughs> what are their fates bound um you know what's what the power mean? of the red circle is the power of the red circle or is it just merely the imagination of like somebody's got to be here we got to fill this role is this a pentagram is this gallic paganism <laughs> what is this what is it we don't know it's nothing and that's what makes it cool i mean i'm gonna get that tattooed across my chest it's so cool <laughs> with the buddha <laughs> Uh, it's night. There's a car with four men, and they run a red light, which is kind of interesting because this end up being cops. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Well, I guess they got to hurry up. Uh, oh, I guess, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm getting ahead of it, but, like, what's going on here is, like, they're transferring a prisoner to be interrogated somewhere. I actually don't know what he did or what he knows, but that's his backstory. They don't say, really. <laughs> There's a man, a dangerous man, who must be moved. <laughs> Um, by a detective from Marseille. And then I wrote, they stop at a hotel or something, but this is actually a train station. Yeah, it looks like a hotel. <laughs> to us, it's like, what is that, a hotel? Oh, it's where those big train things are. Yeah, we don't have those here. 
Uh, Because I know it's like a heist thing, so I didn't know who's who, who's a cop. Also, I don't know any of these actors, so I don't know, like, what they usually do. You know, it's kind of like you almost take it for granted for, like, celebrityism in America, where it's like it kind of lets you know who people are before you watch a movie. Yeah. (laughs) We're here. It's like, who's that guy? Like, I got confused later on because there's, like, there's a guy, Rico, and there's the guy who owns, like, the strip club, which I'm forgetting his name. I wrote it down. Uh, and like I was like confusing those two guys. I yes, was confusing these was, two guys. It was. It is kind of confusing the first time through because like <laughs> these people look the same. They don't have a distinct voice that I can recognize. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like because everyone's like, "Oh, la Like everyone talks like that. Yeah. You know, because I, um, I don't know who, like who's in who's a Corsican and who's like just a french guy it's you know oh i i don't even know that at all yeah <laughs> uh the corsicans are like that's the mob in france oh, okay when you hear about those wilds well now it's arabs in france but it used to be when you heard about those wild stories of like insane jewelry heists where they like fired rocket launchers at armored vehicles <laughs> that was always the corsican mob like the french no. connection you know with popeye doyle and the new york you know and Gene Hackman, like, that was the Corsican mob that was importing heroin into America in the 70s. Like, that's that's who's doing that in France. Now it's all, like, Arab guys, and they're doing it because somebody made cartoons or something. It's, <laughs> it's not nearly as cool. It's kind of sad and just stupid. <laughs> uh, they get on a train, they get on a sleeper car, and it's revealed that they're cuffed together. Yeah. Because they're just kind of like, oh, are they holding hands? What's going on here? It's like, oh, is it? Yeah, you never know. It's like, is this a European thing? What is this? You know. This- well, also again, like I know this is a, like a heist movie, so I thought like, is this a part of the heist? So yeah. like, are they? Did they just break out of jail and they're still cuffed together? It's like, no, he's transporting a prisoner. <laughs> so, so yeah, but the the guy undoes the cuff and cuffs him to like, like the the ladder on the top bunk. Yeah. Um. Very uncomfortable sleeping position. <laughs> Uh, like then we have then we cut to outside and there's like the train just rolling out and that we have credits over the train. Uh, we cut back the cop cuffs the yeah he cuffs him to the ladder and then he writes this he starts to light a cigarette but then he stops, which I don't know what I'm supposed to read. <laughs> he was being considerate to the guy like yeah. maybe he doesn't want to breathe my cigarette smoke. Yeah, I guess. But Vogel, I mean, they all smoke, don't they? <laughs> well, eventually it's revealed that they do. Yeah. But it's okay. like, you know, this this guy, like, doesn't. Or wait, no, no. I don't know. Because Corey does. I don't know if I ever saw Vogel. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because when they. He tossed them cigarettes. At, yeah, that's um, right. The Trump. That, yeah. that one hold up thing. See, uh, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, He turns on the lights and then the other guy tries to get some sleep. We cut to a jail cell. And this is where I get confused because I thought this was like, like. After the train ride or before, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought like, yeah, like, the, like this is when he was in jail, and now he's gonna get out. This is where I was confusing, dude. Even though it's pretty clear, like these guys aren't the same people. It's like, it's like, would he just get out of jail and then like shave off his mustache, even though they don't look anything alike? But... Well, like I said, it's not clear because they don't speak in a voice that you can recognize. Yeah, yeah. that's why. That's I mean, I know these people are different because I've seen this movie like five times, so I I know this. But well, the first I brought, time I, I saw it, I thought the same thing. I was like, I don't. It's the same. Well, also I brought I brought up the Wikipedia page and like and I to get the guy's name in the train. His name is Vogel, mm-hmm. which I believe they don't actually say his no. name till about an hour in the movie. No. <laughs> I think they're in the helicopter before it's mentioned. 
<laughs> so a guard comes a guard comes into Corey's jail cell. Uh, and we don't know like, this is where we meet Corey. They also like he like puts something in the door so it looks like it's locked so he can like sneak in. And he's getting out the next day and this this uh this guard like already has like a crime job for him. Yeah. <laughs> this is where we kinda like, learn that the police are all sort of corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, technically, like these guys are supposed to like rehabilitate you, yeah. <laughs> and like this is this that's like, all right, we're gonna do what you're good at. <laughs> hey, you know that magic trick you can do? Well, I got a job for you. <laughs> Which is funny, like he, he, all he says is like, I have like a cousin or whatever, and there's a just jewelry place in Paris that has like they set up a new security system, and not like I know a flaw to it. He just says they set up a new security system, which sounds like it'd be harder to do. Yeah. This is all new stuff. It's never been done before. Um, and I thought you'd be interested. I don't know why. But then there's a lot of things that have, and you're probably going to need people to help you on this heist. And it's like, you might randomly meet them in the red circle. Like, we don't know. Uh, so Corey's played by. But I think that's Alon. one of the themes in this movie is fate. So I think that's oh, like yeah, yeah, what yeah. they're trying to do. I mean that's why the it's like that's why these these two things there's even though in my head because how it's doing literally at the moment I thought it, they were connected and was a flashback because I would just how they cut would kind of make sense it was like now we're telling the backstory because we're like technically in the first act or whatever yeah but it, for the what the whole movie's trying to do it makes more sense it's like no we're cutting to a completely different person and then eventually we're going to cut to other completely different people. Then eventually they're all going to come together under weird circumstances. Like they're all on different tracks, but they're all going to inevitably arrive at the same point. Yeah. Which I mean, a lot of movies tried to do that, but they, they like that. That was basically what crash was the one that won the Oscar for best okay. picture. And it's considered the worst Oscar winning picture of all time. <laughs> You've never seen it, but okay. Uh, it's just like it's just like an L.A. race relation movie where it's like now it just seems very poorly done. But like back in the time, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, white people are feeling sad for people of color. It's like, look at them. Good great... for them. <laughs> hey, you're not so bad. You're not out but of touch, just, you know. But you watch it now and it's like, did just Tony Danza just get permission to use the N word a yeah. bunch of times? <laughs> And that's um, what's important. <laughs> that you can say it, but that you regret saying it. <laughs> Anyways, in that movie, there is just like a bunch of different people and they all kind of like come together towards the end. Uh, so, yeah, that's why it worked on a bunch of people because it's like, oh, this is an important movie. And now, upon a reflection, it's like, oh, this is a very poorly done movie that used a lot of like charged imagery and words to make it seem important when it wasn't. There's another movie like that that is good called Grand Canyon. <laughs> Do you remember that, is that one? The guy wrote, uh, is that the guy who wrote Empire Strikes Back? I think that? so, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember it was being a good movie with like everyone coming together. And like if you actually made it to the Grand Canyon, it's like, oh, well, yeah, you're, you, you, you completed something in your life. But some people did not make it to the Grand Canyon <laughs> in that movie because they went down other paths, darker paths <laughs> that led to greed and Hollywood. Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, yeah, then that's really like that. It's like Crash. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's better. Yeah, if you want to watch Crash, watch the right one. And that's the one directed by David Cronenberg. 
That's one where that one's cool. I actually like. I was like, "What am I seeing? Oh my god!" That's where people need to get into car crashes to have sex with each other, <laughs> and injuries are a plus. Yes. <laughs> That's when I realized, hey, I'm not such a pervert after all. Wow, <laughs> my needs are tame compared to this. Long live Let's the new flesh. <laughs> So there's a noise at the door, and the guard hides in the corner, which is just kind of funny. And then, like, another guard, like, peeps in, but then he leaves. But he peeps in for a long time, because the camera yeah, is yeah. on that eye, and it's like, oh, God. <laughs> this is bad. Corey, pretend to masturbate, so he leaves. <laughs> that, that didn't happen. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's great tension, though. It's like, yeah. oh, no, what if he walked in? It's like, man, I don't know. <laughs> We're going to knock him over the head and get away. <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, I was trying to have sex with a prisoner. Oh, okay. Oh. Wee wee. Travian, carry on. Um, it's not gay if it happens in a prison. <laughs> Uh, the guard has a brother-in-law who works for a firm that they just installed a new security system. So that's kind of when we get the setup, but that's not what I was hard to pick where the acts were in this movie. So technically that, that would be like act one. Like we have the plot, but like, we don't even know who everybody is yet. So I, I just kind of arbitrarily picked the act here, but anyways, uh, we come back to the train Vogel as played by Gian Maria Valente. Which again, I don't know what these people's history was or anything, but you know that's that's the French people. actor. Yeah, uh, he's sneaking out a safety smoker. Pin. <laughs> <laughs> he's sneaking out a safety pin and he bends it to like into a lock bit for the cuffs. Uh, here I wrote flashback. It's not. There's cutting to the prison. Uh, Corey's getting released and he gets his blogging back. And there's a photo of like some woman. He looks at it for a moment, but then he leaves them on the table. And then a guard makes him take them makes him take the photos which that's the guard he was talking to earlier and here's where i th when i thought they were connected i was like oh he snuck him the safety pin right there with the photos to get out and i was like oh these aren't connected never mind <laughs> the whole photo handbag thing did, actually didn't mean anything <laughs> I, I thought there was an address or something written on there i could have been wrong maybe i don't know um let me look at the also scene like the, by the, scene the... breakdown thing Oh, it's like the it's a it's super weird because like the woman in this photo is like she pops up throughout this movie is completely superfluous to the yeah. plot. <laughs> yeah, the French have interesting uh, views on women to, even to this day. It's mostly sex, and it's, it's only like interesting if they're like really abusive or violent, and then it's like exciting. Like, but other than that, it's like I oh, just use them for sex. And it's kind of, yeah, everyone has a mistress and a lover in France, and it's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> and anyone uh, over the age of fifty or anyone over the age of fifteen is fair game, even if you're forty. You know, it's like Ugh. even to this day in movies, it's like oh wow, the French are really going somewhere else. <laughs> Man, that's why we're not getting a lot of French films coming up. Yeah. Right <laughs> Nothing in the scene <laughs> breakdown, so it just establishes another connection between him and that guard, I guess. Yeah. It's like, I know something about you and your former girlfriend. Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we cut back to, well, also it's funny, like, even though this guard, this guard sets up the whole plot, we never see him again. No, I believe uh -huh. we don't. No, so. <laughs> we don't. Because <laughs> he's not like, and, and I get my cut too. Like, he, nah. 
<laughs> this is the one guy who doesn't get in the red circle. <laughs> no, he's just what you call a crime propagator. It's like, I'm going to enable crime but not benefit from it just because I like the presence of crime. Because like, I can't establish any other motivation for him, so like, this must yeah, be it. I mean, his, I mean, his job does the, the, the depend on there being criminals. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> his job security. <laughs> I get to retire when I'm 50, and if not, we riot against Macron. <laughs> they did burn, did burn down the, uh, what's it called, the Blackstone, or what's the financial group? BlackRock Financial, the one in Paris. Yeah. The, the branch, they burned that down recently. <laughs> <laughs> they know exactly where the enemy is. <laughs> Back to the show. <laughs> No, are they are they bringing it together with the Muslims there? Like, have they found some? Have they found common ground? Yeah, it's just, yeah, they found commonplace in Thunderdome. It's like we're just, <laughs> just burning this country to the ground for different reasons, but we both enjoy the burning. So <laughs> we enjoy the flames of anarchy and chaos. Uh, we come back to the train. Vogel undoes his cuff as the cop is sleeping below. Which is kind of funny because they have like the, it, there's a lot of weird like tension in the scene because we yes. show like the cop like looking up just looking at his wrist it's like oh shit, he's got a bird's eye on that he's trying to sneakily do it. that cop's gonna see him undo the cuff but then he like he doesn't actually see it like he turns over at some point so no and he's because he's I, holding the cuff stiff with his other hand yeah like, it's yeah. got the same amount of tension on it it's important that you and the cop <laughs> notice that it's like wow they're building a lot into this scene. But like, but how they shoot the scene, it kind of looks like he can see like his yeah. hand the whole time. But really, if you think about it, like the bed's gonna be over, it and all he can see is like the cufflink. So, oh, this movie is. Let me just say, just to get this out of the way, because it's gonna come up again. This is a Kubrick movie. Like this is shot <laughs> like a Kubrick film. Like the cinematography in this, and the way things look in the background is amazing. Now I don't know if they took that from Stanley Kubrick or he took that from the Europeans. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, this movie looks great all the way through. Oh, I, I forgot to mention, like, sorry, I mentioned the cinematographer's name, Henri Decay. But yeah. uh, the only other movie I saw that I I haven't seen, but I know of, he did. He shot The Boys of Brazil. Oh, okay, yeah, I, that's a great movie. <laughs> if you like, you know, Hitler conspiracy theories, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Gregory Peck, and I forget who else is in it, but yeah. It's one of those movies where, like, I heard about it a lot and I just never watched it. Yeah, it has Sometimes a lot of cultural... Like, re it's like Marathon Man. Like, everyone knows what it is, but it's like, have you ever watched it? It's like, it's really weird. You ever seen someone like tortured I, with dental appliances? Like, that? you don't see that in every movie. I know, it's like that in, like, the uh, is it All the President's Men. Yeah. Um, with um, Tootsie Guy. <laughs> I can't think of his name. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Robert Redford and um, uh, da, da, da. <laughs> the Marathon Man himself. <laughs> yeah, the Marathon Man himself. Why am I drawing a blank? Yeah, Tootsie. For, you know. Oh. <laughs> Who is it? Who is it? Damn it. The name's going to come to me. Tell me you're looking it up. Yeah. Because yeah. I can't. Because he's Rain Man. Um, Dustin <laughs> Hoffman. Hoffman, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know that's supposed to be like a good and important movie. I've never seen it. So. Oh, it's great. So it's Three Days of the Condor. It's, I mean, it's all kind of the same movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he undoes his cuffs and then he's able, he like, he like undoes like one of the support 
like holding up his bunk bed, but that's I thought he was gonna like drop the bed and like fall on the guy to use it, but no, he just needs room to kick the window out. <laughs> yeah, the weirdest escape I've ever seen. It's like, okay, folks, picture this. This is the bed. You're laying in it outside. This is the wall, and outside is it's like it's the train. The land is moving by, and here's the bed, and here's the window, and we're going to escape by kicking through the window and landing on our feet outside a moving train. <laughs> now the train did slow down for some reason. Yeah, because you hear brakes applied and the sound effects and stuff uh, before, but it's like the strangest escape because he just like throws himself out the window and suddenly he's through the window and the cops like. <laughs> Yeah, he jumps to the train, and then the cop pulls the emergency stop, and then he gives chase into the woods. Uh, the cop fires all his, bu- all his bullets from his revolver. And from the just, tiniest like, snub-nosed revolver you've ever seen. <laughs> like, they issue cops 22, you know, revolvers in France? <laughs> I think it was probably a 38 like mine, but it looks seemed pretty small. Yeah. Uh, or whatever weird, like... <laughs> Like size three point eight two millimeter <laughs> La France special special. Yeah, whatever Ian's thing was that th- third. What was it like thirty eight French long or something? Yeah. Was the one <laughs> so we have Inspector Matei. Again, play the guy who's one name Boreville. Uh, he calls the police and he gives like info on where Vogel is. Uh, which like this is the same thing with Samurai. Just the details of the movie is great, even though it's like kind of boring. It's like he's looking at a map. He needs to call this guy. He needs to inform this person. He needs to tell the train conductor what to do because like, hey man, we need to run these trains or they're gonna start running into each other. It's yeah. like okay, we'll get my stuff and start running the train. Yeah, he's telling um, the guy because he's looking at the map on the wall at the train depot, and he's like, yeah, we need to set up roadblocks here, here, and here. Uh, you know, as I fired a bunch of bullets into the woods, you know, I don't know if I hit him. So we got to, we got to lock down all these places. And yeah. And he tells the conductor, like, bring my stuff, my luggage and all that, and then get the train going. Cause nothing else <laughs> to learn from that. So, <laughs> uh, then we cut to a coffee shop and some lady like looks at Corey and he like kind of like smiles or whatever. It's like, ha, I still got it after all these years. Well, not only does he look at her, but he looks at her like from the legs up. Like he does <laughs> one of those things like all the way up her body. Like, yeah. Yeah. And she's kind of happy about it. Yeah. Too, she's so happy just... about it. It's always nice when they're happy about it. It's never sad that you're doing that or they're angry. Like, how dare you? It's like, well, I thought that's what you wanted. <laughs> Uh, we cut to an elevator and Corey gets out and he wakes up some guy by ringing the doorbell in the middle of the night, which I'm guessing, yeah, those two scenes kind of don't really interconnect. Like, oh, I guess this is like a late night coffee shop or is that just like it's the next or it's the night of that day? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't um, understand how these are coming together because it's like he was in the coffee shop almost, it seemed, in the morning having an espresso. And then like he's going to this guy's house at like 3 a.m. <laughs> it's like wow espresso must have really worked for him it's, it's still going. uh the guy hesitates to open the door but then when he opens it he like forces a smile which is kind of funny because like you would know what this means it's like oh this guy just got out of jail so this guy like wronged him or like sold him out you don't know <laughs> well, this is when i talk about like the kubrick look like this guy's apartment the picture of this guy in the hallway outside his apartment the bunker-like dark blue nature of this apartment <laughs> and the door lock mechanism to open the door. It's like, oh, this is all crazy, like <laughs> European stuff or something. I don't know. It's, it's, 
This is when I start thinking this is a Kubrick film. It's because of the way it looks. Because, I mean, the picture of the guy through the peephole. Yeah. And how, like, when he presses the buzzer, like, it lights up and you can see him. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> Whatever they're doing here, I like it. Uh, the guy owns Corey Money. Uh, and Corey's kind of, like, guilting him because he's like, hey, remember how I never ratted you out? And he's like, yeah, I suspiciously remember that. And that's why I pretended to not know who you are. I thought I thought you were giving me a heads up, a head start to get away from crime. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> And then like, but he's also telling him like, "Hey, the the you know the bank's open at nine, so we gotta wait. I, like, I'll write you a check." He's like, "Nah, I want cash." And then like, Corey just kind of finds a he just he's like looking around. He finds like a painting that's kind of like angled weird off the wall, and it's like he just moves it aside. And there's a safe there. He's like, "Hey, what's in here?" And he's like, oh, "I want you open it." And he opens it up, and it's like I think he was asking for three grand, but there's like two grand in there. He's like, "Yeah, this will work." Uh, he also, as he opens it, he's suspicious, like he probably has a gun in there. So he pushes him aside, takes the money, and there is a gun in there. Yeah, he's <laughs> completely correct in everything he did. <laughs> uh, he also insists, like, I'll pay you back, which is kind of an interesting character thing. Is like, you know, obviously both these guys are criminals, so it's like he's never going to pay him back. But there's kind of like a thing, well, it's like, well, this is the only guy we know right now, so if he's the good guy of the movie, wouldn't that be interesting if he, he would pay him back? Yeah, he would show up with like, hey, I got your two grand <laughs> and your pistol that I've got killed four people with. It's all yours. Uh, then he, 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 the, so he takes the money and the gun out of the safe, but he leaves photos of the lady, which I think, is that the lady she's like in the bedroom? Is that her or is that just another lady? No, it's her. Okay. She doesn't speak much, but no, she like gets up and listens to the door. So like they never actually like see each other. So <laughs> that's why there's this intended like uh, implied like betrayal. Yeah, it's like oh, not only did I go to prison and do time, and now you're bedding down my woman and it's whatever. So it's like, what's this <laughs> worth to you? Two grand and a hot and a handgun. That, that's what <laughs> she's worth to me and my life. You know, and the time I wasted in prison. Uh, the, so this guy just robbed, uh, like Corey leaves and, uh, this guy's named Rico. He calls up Paul. <laughs> I don't know. If, I, I'm guessing that's the crime, the mob boss later on. I'm not sure. Or maybe it was one of his goons, but that's what he, he basically says, Hey, I got just, this guy got out of jail and he just robbed me. So can you do something about it? Uh, then we cut to Corey's like out walking and he spots some cars and like a, yeah, a car or like a, it's like. Not a car lot because it's like enclosed, enclosed in glass and they just have it like on the show floor or whatever. But and then he goes to the billiards hall. Yeah. And I really don't know what billiards is, but these are like pool tables that don't have pockets in them. So I don't know how you play that game, but I don't know either. <laughs> Which I think it's something where you have to like bounce it off the sides twice and then hit the right ball or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's like yeah. some kind of snooker thing or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. I just I remember I remarked about that. I remember there's somebody saying like somebody was saying like uh there's some Steven Seagal movie and it's like why don't these pool tables have like pockets in them? Is that because like they're gonna be doing stunts on them or whatever? And it's like or it could be this weird <laughs> this weird snooker table or whatever. I don't know. Because I know there are some pool tables where they just have like these weird like bumpers on it and it's like there's no pockets. It's like some bumper pool thing i forget how that works as well but and i remember like our, our grandma like she used to have like this weird pool table in the basement where they had like a little shooter thing that would shoot the pool ball or whatever and then you'd like 
<laughs> play the and there's oh. like bumpers on it and stuff like that too. Yeah, I do remember that. Which I think is weird because like I, I was like another podcast. I heard somebody talking about that, and I was like, did everybody's like, did every fourth person's grandparents have this weird pool table thing? <laughs> and there was a whole industry that we don't know about, and it's and somewhere it ceased to exist. <laughs> Yeah, this like octagonal table with like these weird bumpers in it, and yeah, with like billiard balls. It's like, what does this mean? <laughs> Was this the secret of prosperity to the greatest generation? And it's lost to us. I mean, we don't know. Uh, so Cor- they're, they're they're like closing the the billiard room, and Corey pays off a guy to get in while they're closing. Then he he grabs some red chalk and he makes a a red circle on the pool cue. You know, nice the- touch. Yeah, beyond the nose. It kind of doesn't mean anything, but it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. Because pretty soon he's going to be encircled by some guys who came to the red circle, <laughs> beaconed by Corey himself for yeah. drawing on the pool. <laughs> Corey and Buddha are all in on this height. <laughs> uh, Corey takes some shots, but then like at one point there's like another guy that shows up and he, he takes a shot too. And that's when you realize, oh, he's not alone. Uh, and then there's two guys there. They're looking to get Rico's money back for for him he hits one guy with the pool cue and then the other guy pulls a gun and Corey like makes the other guy shoot the guy who fell on the ground <laughs> yeah it's a weird then, like he shoots him in the head yeah accidentally uh and the gun flies then he grabs the gun and walks out of there he also like the, the old guy closing the shop is like calling the cops and he just pulls the phone cord and walks out then we cut to him he, he buys a used car which I don't do you have info on the car he buys? The car he <laughs> buys is a 1966 Plymouth Fury 3. <laughs> uh, it either had a slant six in it. I don't know what kind of it, it, it either had a slant six or, or a couple different V8s. But the thing okay. about it was cool is just a big American V8 sedan, <laughs> which was funny to see the main character drive it through most of the movie. Yeah, like it doesn't get destroyed or anything. He's always just driving around this huge American car. But there's a lot of huge American cars in this movie. But I don't know, like what, like what, in what respect, like it's supposed to be. Is this supposed to be like a fine used car, or is this supposed to be like something kind of extravagant? I'm not sure. I, I mean, I believe I'm not sure at that time if there was like a big import tax uh, to have those in France or not. Um, there's, I just know that like, you know, in the movie, it was like, it was like the title car Yeah. the guy drove and there was a lot of, uh, what was that? There was a lot of American cars in this movie, Yeah. but you know, God knows cause the movie was made in the seventies. So this car would have been like four years old at the time of the making of this movie. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Uh, he drives away and then he puts the gun in the glove compartment, but then like rethinks it. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls over and then puts both the guns because he's stole that other guy's gun too. So he has two stolen guns and he, uh, he, uh, like wipes off the prints and then puts them both in a bag in the trunk of the car, which I, I kind of like. Like this movie's like kind of long in some ways boring, but at least they like, they just take you time to show like somebody's like process without them like explaining it or anything. They just show you the process. Yeah. It's kind movies of cool. don't do no no one <laughs> yeah. does that it's like why is this guy taking guns out of the you know the the uh glove box and putting them in you know it's it's kind of weird but i mean the last american movie i think of that did something like this was probably no country for old men like <laughs> yeah. where it shows the people like sawing off shotguns and like practicing <laughs> pull- like it doesn't explain to you why 
you know, but then when you see or like, him making a contraption to pull like a suitcase through like air ducts, but from a different like apartment and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, you don't know why, but it works. And the book's even better yeah. for that. You know? <laughs> uh, then we cut back to we cut to the cops are running a dragnet to cap capture Vogel. Uh, they bring out German shepherds. It's nice, like long scene where you see like like eighty people like lining up <laughs> to like look for clues to where Vogel is. Although the distance, because we spent a lot of time with Corey here, the distance and time that's going on here feels crazy. Like yeah. it seems like because Vogel's completely out of breath. It seems it's and he's always running. It's like he should be like way farther from the cops. Because how long does it take to like? mount up like 80 people to do this it's like that's hours <laughs> yeah this guy should not be like it's like he's running an iron man to you know it's like <laughs> this guy should be 80 miles away from these people yeah. at this point <laughs> but yeah vogel hears the 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 barking in the distance and he like starts to panic he stops at a river bank and he strips and then he tosses his clothes to the other side crosses in his underwear uh it gets to the other side puts his clothes back on and takes off which is kind of like why did he do that except for like well he doesn't want wet clothes because that'll give him away too much <laughs> yeah and also he'll freeze to death because later it's snowing in france yeah. which is not something we think of <laughs> that happens in france it actually yeah. does we just don't think of it but then but then like when the when the dogs and the the guys the cops end up at the river like the dogs don't know where his scent is so it's like ah he got away but it's you know he's there's still like a uh like he's uh there's a what do you call that an APB an all points bulletin for yeah. his arrest, <laughs> and you've got the cool French like uh like and all these guys walking in a line they like they have the the old school gendarme uniforms you know with the round hats yeah and you got guys wearing that it's like oh yeah that's like that's a very French French looking stuff <laughs> uh, then we cut to there's a road crossing the cops are setting up a spike strip uh, Corey pulls up to a checkpoint the cop searches his trunk. Even he, he sees the bag and he's like, "All right," but like the bag has like some rags on top of it, so the guns aren't just immediately showing. So, well, plus they're looking for a guy hiding in the trunk. Not you know, he's he's not yeah. hiding in a bag. <laughs> well, and also he tells him because he just bought the car. He's like, "Hey, th this car's not in your name." He's like, "Yeah, I just bought it." He's like, "All right, well, is this your address?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "All right, move on, move on." I like his interactions with the police throughout this movie. There's like no attitude, no bullshit no like yeah hey i'm gonna have a conversation like hey what's going on man no yeah he's, here's my no, papers yeah. you know <laughs> yeah he's not he's not adversarial with the cops even though like they are his adversaries technically <laughs> it's a nice touch it's like oh he's a thinking criminal we have inspector Matei is like riding the helicopter now to continue the search very another kubrick scene just <laughs> riding the helicopter over the people like it's shooting yeah. you know over the it's a really cool scene really weird looking helicopter you know <laughs> strange early helicopter well yeah they don't use it so i mean i i i'm thinking that was just the camera helicopter because yeah. there's a big scene early on when like like they start on the train and you they they're shooting through the train window and then they pull away and it's like oh it's a helicopter shot yeah <laughs> it's like oh that's kind of cool uh that was probably irresponsible and dangerous at the time too so <laughs> it's cool you know it's whatever <laughs> i mean this is before we got killed people we're killing people with helicopters and uh movie production so it was all right <laughs> well i mean yeah this because this movie when when they show the helicopter landing and they have this shot from inside the helicopter because the guy's piloting it like in the middle and then there's two side seats and you know uh 
Inspector Matei is on the left or whatever. Um, but when that goes to take off again, when he stops and talks to the guys and he's like, you know, gets back in the helicopter and it flies away, that's a definitely like hand-painted livery on the side of that thing. So you're you're probably right. Like that was the camera helicopter. It's like, hey, let's make this look like a police helicopter for just a few <laughs> scenes. It's like we're just gonna hand paint like roundels on it and stuff. Because I I know from years of like model building psychosis, it's like, well, that wouldn't look like that. They don't. The police don't paint with a brush on on the side to make it look official. So it's like, oh, that's cool. They just mock chopped it up for a few scenes. Like you could do that for a thousand bucks. You do that, you know, in a movie. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't like, no, we got to make it look real. It's, no one's going to notice. The cool thing is that he's in a helicopter and the shot from inside the cabin yeah. of the helicopter. Yeah, landing where 80 people are waiting to watch him. Yeah, it's like, see if this thing crashes. <laughs> it doesn't look like the most sturdy helicopter either. It's like when it lands, it's like its weight kind of settles on its uh, suspension yeah. and then the wheels kick out. It's like, ah, that looks safe. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see, there was like this weird, uh, oh, the know, weird viral cut. Hmm? Oh, oh, I thought you meant the weird cut when the engine would no. throttle up or whatever. No, uh, not sure about that. But no, it was just this weird viral video video going out there where there this helicopter is like picking up a guy from a boat. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh huh. And they have like a weird like techno version of some dance music and everything. Anyways, like it looks really cool because like the boat's moving and the helicopter's moving. It's getting really close. And it like looks super cool, and they they pick up and they hook up this guy, and then just pick him up out of there, and the helicopter kind of stops. And it's like, why are they doing that? And then like the the, the responses, the comments were basically saying that like, if the boat was standing still, like the waves would make it harder to pick up. So if it's moving, it's actually more of a steady. If they're both moving, oh, because it's cutting through the waves. Okay, yeah, yeah, and then also like, well, hovering a helicopter is actually like way harder to control than do to like slightly move forward the yeah. helicopter is like oh okay so like what looks more dangerous and cooler is actually the safer option to do a pickup with so yeah well you get this weird um i remember this guy was explaining to me actual navy seal one of the three i know don't ask me why i know real navy seals it's just weird coincidence <laughs> in my life was uh when they killed bin laden and the one helicopter just crashed remember the special helicopter like crashed yeah. And he was saying, it's like, oh, yeah, that's ground effect. And I was like, what happened? He goes, oh, when a helicopter's hovering off the ground, it's the most dangerous time for a helicopter because the vortex will actually, like, suck it to the ground if the pilot's not watching it carefully. <laughs> and he goes, and those helicopters don't have good lift because they have stealth characteristics, Bill. Like, he explained the whole thing to me. And then a, a year later, I read a book that said the exact same thing the guy told me. So it's like, wow, he actually knew what he was talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, helicopters still are really dangerous, especially if they're like 10 feet off the ground because the, the vortex that's being created by the by the blades, the, the, not, not, the, not that vortex, the, what do they call that, the vertical vortex, but the vortex from between it and the ground, it will actually yeah. try to suck it to the ground if it gets low enough because it's just like that's how that works. And the way you fight that, I forget, is with, uh, like, the collective rudder. I don't know, something like that. I don't, I don't fly helicopters. What, what so is I don't know. The, oh, is that the collectivator or something like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, ask uh, Bill Burr. He'd know. He'd tell <laughs> yeah, you all yeah. about it. Listen to his gotta podcast. Practice our, we got to practice our auto rotations. Yeah. 
Let's listen to his <laughs> podcast. It's much better than ours. You like it more. <laughs> Which is a lot. It's a, it's a harder thing to do. I stopped listening to podcasts a long time ago, but that's just because it's sometimes it's really hard to listen to a podcast with one person. Yeah. <laughs> he does a great job, but it's still a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah, only Rush Limbaugh could make that work. <laughs> L. Rushbo. I'm here to bloviate for five hours and talk only to myself and my invisible producer. <laughs> Uh, we cut to Corey stops at a diner and sits down. It's starting to snow, which like just kind of comes out of nowhere, but yeah. makes it more like like tense for like, oh yeah, Vogel's out there running around. And he just forded a river, so he's like yeah. wet and cold. Uh, he didn't get his clothes wet, but now they're getting wet. And so Vogel's uh, like sneaking around outside the diner. He's got to like run across the road and all that stuff, and he's just kind of like darting around with his head and stuff like that it's kind of silly but you know it's like this hey, movie takes its the time top, so. with everything yeah. <laughs> alarms hey, going off a guy's got to get from point a to b we're not going to skip that <laughs> we, we have like alarms going off for like three and a half like minutes screen times like wow they really like this alarm it's, <laughs> this is amazing sound design with this alarm changing vector all the time and so he's outside the the uh, the diner. He's he's trying all the trunk lids to see which one is open. And this when he realized like, oh, that's why the cops are checking the trunks because yeah. like somebody might be inside of it. So I don't know if that was a thing. Like people would just like like run from the cops and hide it in somebody's trunk or something. Like oh, that. you know, yeah, yeah. You don't remember that era of cars where you had the square key started it and the round key opened the doors in the trunk. Like, it was only, like, people that had Lincolns and Cadillacs where you open the trunk from the inside, which is now something we take. We press a button now, and, like, a servo, like, whoo, makes it raise up. Back then, no, you had to use, like, a key to open the trunk, and you could set it to where it's like, oh, I don't want to have to unlock this every time. So you could, like, click it over underneath, like, behind it, and then just you grab the symbol on the back and turn it, and it would pop up. But you had to set yeah. it that way. And they stopped. I mean, that those would have been really old cars even for me. So, yeah, by by the time you were driving cars, like, it was all one key and, like, servo motors and buttons. But not. I mean, I saw the car, like, didn't have, like, didn't have power windows and stuff like that. But, yeah, we didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cigarette lighters were going away and all that stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, power um, windows were still a luxury when I started driving. Now it's like people are like, if you go like this. They're like, what are you telling me to do? You know, they just don't know. It's like, oh, you mean this? Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is funny. Again, on other podcasts, now that, you know, the podcasters I've been listening to forever, now having kids and stuff like that, they talk about how like kids nowadays, like it used to be a thing, like when you mime a phone, you do this, like the, uh, you know, like the, uh, like, yeah, the shaka bra like thing where it's like the pinky to your your mouth, thumb to your thing, but now because everybody just uses cell phones like kids nowadays growing up they do this thing where they just put their whole palm to their ear because that's mimicking a cell phone yeah because <laughs> they don't know what house phones are because nobody uses them anymore yeah i mean i've always wanted to have like a phone in the house it's like a rotary phone like grandma <laughs> used to have remember the one in webster city iowa the the phone she had like you could beat someone to yeah. death and make a call with it it lasted like 75 years <laughs> it's like i want one of those phones just for the house just can't get them anymore um actually i don't even have a house phone anymore yeah we got rid of a house phone like years ago that's because it was just 
again, things ruined by telemarketing and stuff like that. Yeah. But also people looking for money is like, ah, we don't got it, man. <laughs> and then when you don't have a house phone anymore, like you don't get those calls anymore. Yeah, it's it's all it's it's a miracle. <laughs> hey, I remember I had alphanumeric text uh, from from a pager that like work gave me. And I remember people was like, "Whoa, where'd you get one of those?" It's like, "Oh, it's for work. They just page me when they want stuff shipped or whatever I was doing at the time." It's like, "Wow, that's crazy." I mean, that's like you know that was what it was called Air Touch then. That's what Verizon became. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I remember alphanumeric text paging. Yeah, you know, like nobody does that anymore. But I was just kind of like commenting on like I don't I think it's like I get the idea of somebody intentionally like hiding someone else in the trunk. But I wonder if there was a thing where like just people are unknowingly transporting a person in their trunk. So it's a possibility. <laughs> I mean, now if you look in the trunk, you actually have like the emergency escape. I'm sure your car has it too. Yeah, the little uh, glow in the dark, like pull. Well, this I handle. mean, it's all it's all in the same cab. There's no like distinction between the oh, trunk area yeah you don't so have a maybe, separate trunk maybe yeah. i mean th no i think there is a button from the inside you can just hit and it'll open up but, yeah uh, that's, that's yeah, the yeah, anti-kidnapping the... feature <laughs> yeah 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 the kidnapper's not gonna cut those <laughs> no why would they <laughs> and they also glow in the dark too that's a weird thing yeah yeah I don't know. Also, you have the child locks, which that's just another way to trap somebody in a car. So, you know, you know, safety, capturing people, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, you know, now, again, we didn't, I didn't have child, lo child locks were not, they were just starting to come in as I was driving. But I remember before that you could, those were called cop locks. You could like <laughs> have those, like your expensive cars, like your Lincolns or whatever. You could add, you could get like, uh, they didn't call them cop locks. That's not what the company called them. But they were yeah. like, uh, you could put like interlock denial device or something like that's what they called it. And it was a switch inside the door you could throw so like no one could open it from the inside. Like it had to be open from the outside, like child locks now. But people would pay extra for that feature in their fancy cars, and God knows why. Because they knew why the police <laughs> had them. But it's like, well, why does the guy with a town car need that? What's <laughs> going on exactly? Eh, you don't want to know. Just sell him the car. Have a nice day, sir go with god yeah ign yeah ignorance was bliss back then that, why, why you think everything was safer back then is because they didn't have social media to realize how terrible everything is and that's why you think everything's terrible now oh actually yeah probably isn't <laughs> oh we grew up the 80s and 90s when we were kids literally the most violent time in america since like the civil war like your <laughs> your chances of being murdered or kidnapped in the 80s and 90s way higher than it is now like, you just didn't go out at night if you lived in a city with more than 5,000 people in it. Like, it was just like, oh, you're going to get picked up. And, and especially if you were a young woman, it's like, good luck. Uh, you know, it's, it was terrible. Now. But it, also, like, I remember growing up and, like, you know, you just bike around town. Like, oh, I'm going to my friend's house. And then, like, you know, nobody had cell phones and stuff like that. Or nowadays, it seems like. It seems like I don't know what it is, but it seems like kids don't do that. You don't just let your kids wander about town. <laughs> um, yeah, probably not. I mean, I don't. I mean, I raised a kid in the two thousands and two thousand tens, and ah, he kind of, he ran around the neighborhood. But see, I live in a giant subdivision. I live in a subdivision that, like, if you connect, and they're all connected together by streets. It's like a city, but it's not. It's not its own. It's not a city proper. It's just a township. But yeah, he kind of ran wild around here. I mean, I took his bike 
into the bike shop once just to be rebuilt and no questions asked like what did he do to this thing it's like i don't know <laughs> just fix it i don't, <laughs> I don't I have no idea it's like this is going to cost more to fix and you could buy a new one it's like do you have a new one to sell me <laughs> you know it's just like give him another <laughs> bike i don't care um but yeah so but he didn't like yeah i i it wasn't like a town around here like you had to like I remember like going into town to get like beverages and candy or something, you know, on a bike. Like he didn't yeah. have that. You always had to come home to do that around here. But then we have this weird like aqueduct like structures around here. I guess that's where all the kids played. Uh and then I found out like he was him and Jake were on the frozen lakes and ponds around here in the winter. And uh, like they would crawl out on them. And so it's like, you guys, if you went through those, you would have died. Oh, yeah, we know. Like, oh, okay. Well, as long as, you know, you're aware. We took our lives into our own hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he. but they always had phones. Well, no, actually, Grayson didn't have a cell phone until he was like 15. So I don't know. We were just responsible parents, I guess. It was like, yeah, run wild. Come home when the streetlights come on or we'll think you're dead. Yeah, yeah. That was always the thing. Like, just come home before night. Uh He's trying all the trunks, and then he ha he happens upon Corey's trunk, and then it's open, so he hops inside, uh, and then Corey finishes his meal and leaves in the car. And then we cut to Inspector Mateus like debriefing some guy about Vogel, which this is like we learned it's like the oh wait no is this, no he's talking to a different guy. It's later on he, he's talking to another guy. Uh, so yeah, he's debriefing a guy about Vogel. He's like just kind of saying that like hey this. You know he's a bad guy we're taking him for interrogation and he's like hey you're gonna get <laughs> like does you think he really did it and that's kind of all the information we get we don't they it's not told what he did or what he knows so yeah uh, we come back to Corey pulls up to another checkpoint uh this time when he goes to open the trunk for the cop he's like oh they didn't give me the trunk key which we know is a lie yeah <laughs> and the cop gets distracted because there's like a disgruntled truck driver arguing with another cop and then that, that cop goes to assist and he's like ah continue on then we see Corey just drives into the middle of a field it's like well this is weird and then he lights a cigarette and then he just like hangs out a bit and then he just yells at his trunk for vogel to come out of the trunk He's like, ah, the coast is clear. And then so Vogel like hops out of the trunk and he's got one of the guns from the bag. So, you know, he's like, he was doing some work. It's like, ah, what, what's, what are my tools back here? It's like, hey, a gun. I can really use one of these. Which you think would have immediately aroused suspicion. <laughs> it's like I broke into the trunk of the one guy who's, you know, got like a bag full of guns and friends. <laughs> like, hey, I wonder what this means. He had his choosing, so he chose the. Was that a 1911 or something? Or was that like a Browning High Power or something? I think it was a Browning High Power. Those are more popular. The uh, 45s are not popular in Europe. Oh, okay. They just thought that was an ignorant fat American. No, I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't think they were white. I think nine millimeter is more widely available. Yeah. I don't even know if, what the gun laws are in France. I, I mean, they're a huge arms producer, so I imagine you can own guns there. I don't know yeah what the rules are because some of those countries we we think like only america has the freedom of guns and you find out other countries are like oh no they're buck wild like in yeah. oh, switzerland you can have a machine gun with a silencer it's like what <laughs> why can't we have that it's like well because you're not expected to defend your country either <laughs> yeah they only have guns for defense and like they don't have ammo like they all have guns but nobody has ammo all the ammo is at the gun range yeah which would actually solve a lot of problems if you think about it. 
Yeah, because I don't really need ammo at home. I need it when I go shoot the gun. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, someone no, could break got, up in my house. Nathan, we got to live in the fantasy where you're defending your life and, you know, got to have your own private diehard. <laughs> so. Oh, I've got, like, you know, things I could throw. If anyone broke into my house... Like, my guns are fairly inaccessible, <laughs> like, <laughs> because I have to keep them locked. Because I got, a, you know, kids, I got, you know, young people around my house, and I can't have, like, firearms. You got to be responsible and yeah. not being readily available. <laughs> so I have, like, shit, like, like, I, this thing weighs, like, two pounds. If I wing this at your head, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to get away. That or I'll just lay on top of you. You just have my big old body, like, holding you down while the police are showing up. I mean, if it gets crazy enough, like, I'm reassembling guns and it's like something's happening, (laughs) it's like, oh, this is way beyond anything I ever planned for, where I'm, like, just assembling shit real quick. Like, okay, now it's time. It's like, oh, I'm just (laughs) I mean, there's this one, I saw this video of, like, this kid who, like, got killed trying to ask the cops for help because he called up and he's like, yeah, Mike, I got a flat tire. Can you help me out? And they send somebody out and they're like, do you have any weapons in the car? And, like, he was like he was like doing construction so he's like he had like kind of like tools and knives and he's like well i guess those are weapons he's like yeah there's weapons in the car <laughs> and oh, so no. the co- oh, and then no. like the way, the way they <laughs> the way they alert the cops is like there's a car there's a car stranded out there with weapons in it so they come uh, come up to him like burying their guns and they're like throw the weapons out of the car he just like throws like some tools to the window and they just shoot him it's like jesus christ it's like oh i'm supposed to lie when they ask that question like are there weapons in the house like nope (laughs) uh define weapons Uh, nuclear (laughs) biological chemical projectile or it's like yeah Yeah, i mean there's like saws and in here i guess if we want to get medieval i could say they're weapons Yeah, no, I'm going to throw, like, one, two, three blocks at you and shit that's really going to hurt. But then again, no one's coming into my house like that. There's nothing in here. Yeah. most valuable single thing I own, I think, is, like, my TV or something. Like, yeah, go ahead, take it. It's years out of date. Just get another one. I have homeowner's uh, insurance, dumbass. <laughs> go ahead. Um. Corey shows off his like release papers to like ease Vogel. He's like, see, I'm a criminal too. And he's like, oh, really? Ah. <laughs> Brothers, let's get some wine. Yes. <laughs> uh, so here's where Corey like gives Vogel some smoke. So this is where he does smoke. So it's like, it's like, oh, so like, he doesn't necessarily have a problem with smoking. So no. he's a proper Frenchman. He's proper French. French. I mean, they don't have a problem with smoking now. <laughs> you can smoke in restaurants there now, I think. It's like, that'll be the coolest place in the world. Everyone dies when they're 50. You know, it's like, great. That's uh, why they're really so upset about the retirement age being raised from 62 to 64, because most of them aren't going to live that long. Because. Because the old cheese and cigarette diet, like everyone's really thin and good looking, but they're just dead inside. Well, actually, though, like the people that really get screwed over with that stuff are the people that are like about to retire. It's like, nope, five more years. Oh, <laughs> uh, and we're like, yeah, some people I like in here, they bounce it back and forth. Like, what are they bitching about? Like, 62 is nice because they, you know, those people actually realize, like, in America, the statutory retirement age is 67. And I think that's if you're a boomer. I don't even, for guys our <laughs> age, I think it's like 160 or something. But <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I have no, I have, I have believe, 
I, I will never get anything from social security and I will die working. That's what, yeah. what I plan to do for with the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, I technically am an under a 30 and out like union system, but I honestly know it's like, they're just going to peel me out of the forklift one day. It's like, I'll get his big old carcass out of there. Uh, it's time, you know, to go on to, cause even if I, like if I retired, I mean, at 55, so I, w I would be 35 years into this because I can't retire. It was weird. There's a rule about how old you have to be. Anyway, I could retire at 55, so I'd be 35 years into the system. What the f***? What, if I even lived a, a short, fat guy lifespan, I would still have, like, another, like, 20 years. of What would I do with myself? Uh, and what, you know, what would happen? Like, I'm on a fixed income at that point. Like, as soon as I retire, like, that's the terminus. Okay, it's not like the cost of living is just going to follow that flat curve. No, it's going to be like, you know, so you can't retire. Yeah, that's that's the that's the time where you like, it's like, why do why do people argue this stuff? Why don't they just like pay the thing or do this, whatever? This seems like way easier. It's like, oh, because they have time and a fixed income. So they will argue every penny. Yeah, they, this is all they have to do. They're not working like 10 hours a day, busting their ass. And they're like, I'm kind of tired. I can't deal with it. No, they are on the Internet, like talking about it in the chat forum. Klansman 1974 is all about it. <laughs> um, Vogel gets back the trunk, which is kind of funny. Because yeah. <laughs> especially with those cars, there's no way that trunk is warm. <laughs> not only is it not warm, it's probably got sharp metal protruding. <laughs> in play. Cause, you know, in, in all the driving scenes in this movie, the tires are squealing. And you think that's like, oh... That's just done to make it seem like they're driving crazy, which it kind of is also. But do you realize how much cars of that? I've driven cars from this era. The Galaxy stuff that this size. They suck. <laughs> they're square box frame vehicles with tall, skinny tires that weigh like 4,000 pounds. If you take a curve at 20 miles an hour, those tires are like trying to bust loose. Like, woo. <laughs> it's not like cars nowadays where it's like oh it's time to turn and you just jerk the wheel violently and it just <laughs> no those cars were terrible so yeah riding in the trunk of one of those is like i might get a bolt jammed into my eye socket i don't know so now so he gets in the trunk and they're heading off to paris because i'll uh, at least be to his advantage for vogel to get away or whatever i'm not sure why it's just but... to be in a place of 10 million people where you're kind of anonymous yeah. So I have that being the and end the of Act Eiffel 1. Eiffel Tower's there, you know, oh, which yeah, is yeah. cool. Do they shoot that at all? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's considered gauche in France. Oh, okay. It's like, oh, Eiffel Tower, it's for Americans. Yeah. Might as well uh, shoot yeah. the Louvre, too, and nobody cares. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. And people from France know where they are, so they don't need to know where the Eiffel Tower is. It's only the <laughs> Americans. Like, you, like, you just shoot the Eiffel Tower, it's like, oh, we're in France, right? <laughs> oh, we're in gay Paris. <laughs> Arrivederce. Is it, no, wrong language. <laughs> That's why everyone hates us. So I have that being the end of Act One because we have like basically like one of our, you know, two main characters and they're off to you know do the do their crimes. <laughs> Even though at this point it's never he never explains to Vogel. Like, hey, we're gonna do crimes. Like that's never put forward. So really, there is no plot point at this point. <laughs> other no. Than, I, Corey's going to do a crime eventually. And if you remember, like, Le Samurai, it was kind of vague like this, too. It's, uh, a lot of these movies, it's just implied by, like, 
Oh, just by um, osmosis, because we're criminals, like crime will spontaneously happen. This, yeah. this isn't. This becomes an Ocean's Eleven caper, like in the last twenty minutes of the movie. <laughs> it's like there's no build up to like, oh, we got to find this guy and that guy because he's got this skill and that skill. Oh no, there's just. I mean, there is one guy that they do like that. Yeah. The rest of these guys are just like seasoned cat burglars for <laughs> reasons. Like, okay, yeah. cool. Because they'll meet in the red circle, remember. Buddha. <laughs> uh, so we have Act 2. We have Inspector Matei comes home to feed his cats, which is a re- reoccurring thing that will happen in this movie, and I don't know what that means. but you know, It's just I guess to the- show that there's the only pussy waiting for him at home. <laughs> is the feed yeah, usually variety. Like- Cats, especially multiple cats, I think always implies loneliness. I don't know if that meant that this time, but that's what it means nowadays. <laughs> uh, that or just a quirky guy or a guy that's just like he's married to his work. Yeah. Because he's a highly regarded like inspector, detective, yeah. whatever. It's like, yeah, he's respected. But... And he's a he's an older guy. Seems like he's would be on the verge of retirement. Yeah. And there is a picture I think of supposed to be his wife or something. And it's like clearly she's not there anymore. So either a divorce or some random death or whatever. So this is just the way they show his loneliness or whatever. Yeah. But he's uh, always happy he to see bo- his cats. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem to be bothered by his loneliness. No. That's just for you to interpret <laughs> that he's lonely. <laughs> Come, come, it's time to eat. I haven't been here three days. It's uh, <laughs> feeding time. Yeah, I haven't eaten each other, so this is good. And always yeah, the big gra- fast cat. He just grabs cat. stuff out of the food. He just grabs stuff out of the fridge oh, and yeah. puts it on the ground. So. And the big fat cats always come running, but the little skinny one in the chair, like he has to pick it up and always yeah. put it down to eat. It's like, that's why she's skinny, see? She's not running to the food. It's a huge... Because he's got like is it, it's a giant Siamese cat. So there's like three of them. Yeah. Two of them are huge, and one of them's a little smaller. There's like a long-haired cat or two. But yeah, it's like cats that uh, people have in like Russia and places with these <laughs> really weird-looking cats. Yeah, I was like, because there's all the thing like, oh, what kind of dog you have? And he's like, he's a mixed or whatever. Like you know, everyone has all the breeds and stuff. And then the then there's like cat people that were like, I want we want to do that too. But it's like, what's your cat? It's like. Hey man, cats are weird. They're whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of cat you got? It's like it's a serval cat from Africa. It's like <laughs> that's not like a domestic cat. Well, you have to have permits, so it's like it's a regular cat here. But yeah, there there are weird cats like that. I think the serval, and I think there's one Savannah, which I can't remember which one is which, but they act like dogs, like they pant. Yeah, yeah. and they're like. You can walk them and stuff like that, and they have high energy, and it's like that's weird. It's oh yeah, like, that seems I'd be a cool, cool cat, but the, like yeah, they're but yeah, it's you have to spend like five grand to get one, so it's not. Yeah, it's it's a wild animal. It's not a. <laughs> it just runs through the house. It sounds like a horse galloping, and. Well, no, it can it can be tamed. It's not like you're you're trying to like. No, no, but when they run through the house, it sounds like a large like animal. Yeah. Just you know. It's, but it's not you trying to like, hey, this bobcat is my cat. So no. Like, no, that's a, that's that's a wild animal. <laughs> uh, the ones I oh. think are cool are like the, um, uh, what do they call them? The uh, the Maine Coon cats. Yeah. Yeah, those are cool. That's a long long hair. Yeah, they look really cool. I didn't realize how expensive they were. Because <laughs> sometimes I think about cats. I mean, I like my dogs. Uh, yeah. I've had several, but it's it's like sometimes maybe like a more aloof pet would would suit me better i think but then you would look at what they cost it's like if i really want a cool one 
like a palace or a Maine Coon or something. It's like, oh, it's like a $5,000 animal. Like, no, 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 no. And especially like when I go to the vet, you know, like I did today, and I realize it's like, yeah, I can't afford this. <laughs> just, these bills are crazy. And I've got one 19-pound dog. Yeah, we were at work. We were working in an apartment one time. You know, not necessarily like the most upscale apartment. This lady had this like really cool cat. Like it was like, it like it had a like, human face almost. Like one of those. No, no, oh, okay. No, it's not. It's not the Ron Perlman cats. Okay, okay. <laughs> I like those. Those are neat. <laughs> there, there's some. I can't remember what those those are, but there's the palace cats, that look cats like, and stuff. Yeah, like they a, look like Ron Perlman. Yeah, they very, yeah. Like, they, like they have long... human expressions on their yeah. face. Like if you say something to them, they look sad. And it's like, how does that cat doing that? That's $8,000. No, like, oh, okay. It was a quiet little cat, and it had it was black and, like, gold shimmer and, like, had, like, leopard spots on it. Nice. It's like, what the f*** is that cat? <laughs> Where's the litter box? That's I wanna, so cool. What kind of dumps is this thing taking? <laughs> it's got gold flake in it. <laughs> what is this? We cut to Corey gets pulled over by some guys, not the cops. No. <laughs> One of them just runs out of the car and gets in like Corey's car, and they put the gun to Corey's head, and they make him pull over in the woods. The guy takes Rico's money back, like out of out of Corey's coat pocket. Uh, they're de- they're there to kill Corey, so like holding them up outside, and then Vogel gets out of the trunk with the guns and holds them up, and then Vogel takes their gun and then and shoots each of them with their guns, <laughs> with like a cloth and- around the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the bad guy's, uh, by the way, driving a Chevy Impala from 1965. Okay. Actually, I think I forgot to mention that one of these checkpoints, there's like, I don't know if it's a Shelby Cobra Mustang, but it's like a Mustang with like the, like kind of the shark fin stuff in it or not the gills. Oh, hold in on. It. I'll tell like... you, I got the list of all the movies, <laughs> all the cars in this movie. So yeah, keep talking. I'll find it. Cause that's a, um, quite a list. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he makes it look like they just murdered each other over over. At first, Rico or it's Rico's money. Uh, Corey goes to grab Rico's money, but it's got blood and a bullet hole through it, so he just leaves it there. But it actually ends up working in their favor, sort of, not really, because it makes it look like those guys killed each other over the money, where, where they meant to take took take the money, but it's like, well, that's too suspicious, so the money's gone now. Um, it, that is a standard. Me. I'm sorry, that is a standard green Ford Mustang. With a, uh, it has, it kind of has that, um, they had, there was a European road kit for it. That's why it had the inset, uh, fog lights. That is the director uh, of the movie's personal favorite car. That's his <laughs> own okay. car. So, anyway, go ahead. Uh, then we cut to Matai. Now, this is the, he's debriefing. We learned it's like the internal affairs guy. So I thought this was like the head chief or whatever, but it's the internal affairs guy. Yeah. Um, uh, this guy suggests like Matei lost a step, and so Matei's like, "Well, you want my resignation?" And he's like, "No, no, we want you to fix this, yeah, <laughs> or put you in jail for misconduct or whatever." <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, we don't want you to resign, but you're gonna make this right or go to prison. It was like, oh, this is like the <laughs> Internal Affairs Division. Okay, yeah, interesting. Because uh, even though like we have Matei like doing being competent, he did like. A criminal under his care escaped. Yeah. <laughs> so he does look bad, even though he is a competent police officer. And remember, the guy who's like uh, running this invest, like the chief of police of the internal affairs, is like, everyone's a criminal. Like, yeah. that's a theme. <laughs> like, everyone's a criminal, especially cops. 
They have a few <laughs> years where they're innocent, and then they all become criminals. Everyone is guilty. <laughs> that's that's like that's what this guy says. Yeah, because we already, we, I mean, even though they're not necessarily they're they're part of the judicial system, so we see a guard being like, oh, a guard's a bad guy, uh, and then later on we'll see a oh, like a cop who's become a criminal as well. So, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I don't know, like, what the like how what the French people think of the police department in France and stuff like that. Because like here it's like, Oh, at least how it's represented in movies, like the internal affairs is just getting in the way of good cops doing their jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which that's not true, but that's just how it's presented in like every fiction, especially in TV shows where it's like, you're spending so long with characters. It's like, nobody's going to like an internal affairs guy. It's like, come on, they're trying to do their best. (laughs) Yeah. They're kind of like, uh, cause you've got the external bad guys, which are the criminals. Yeah. And then you have to introduce like, oh, the internal bad guys are always internal affairs. Yeah. Uh, when actually in like you know, reality, it's like those are usually the best guys. <laughs> they're breaking up the corruption and assholishness and everything else. But yeah, in TV shows in America, they always make it seem like internal affairs guys were like guys that couldn't hack it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like- like these are the failures of the you know, <laughs> or just like the FBI guys are always evil. Like, oh, the feds are coming in. When in reality, yeah. everyone's like, oh, the resources they're bringing, cool. Yeah, yeah, come on in. We oh, we can't do this ourselves. You mean the smartest people in the world and yeah. resources? Come on in. Yeah. I don't need these feds stepping all over me. When the reality is, oh, thank God you're here. We have no idea what's going on. <laughs> now the federal government's responsible for this. We won't get sued. Yep. It's all on you, boys. Here's our files. I'm going to eat donuts. Thank you very much. No, I think for, with France, everything is like, uh, oh, I mean, I don't really know. I don't know anything about the culture of France or anything. I'm just assuming by the movies I've watched where it's, it's what I call Malay's corruption society. It's it's like, well, in general, everything works and most of the citizens are happy. But we all know, like, the criminals and the police are almost indecipherable depending on how much money's involved. Like, if it's a lot of money, they're the same thing. Uh, if it's me not paying my taxes, it's like, clearly there's police and then there's me. And they're going to bash me to death. So, I, yeah, that's what, how I see it. Okay. Uh, which is probably not much different from how things are here because we always or like to think like <laughs> yeah because i always like to act like well america is unique and different from everywhere else in the world it's like no it's the same <laughs> same human beings that need to breathe oxygen have sex and eat food we all have the same <laughs> problems it's just the french make it look cool and the italians have better <laughs> clothing style than we do and the germans are more organized but we're all f-ed up so <laughs> doesn't change anything uh, then we cut to Matai. He's at a bar talking to people, and apparently he's like, like getting info from all his informants. Who also seem so suspicious themselves. It's like these people are obviously going to betray me as soon as possible, but <laughs> never seems to come up again. It's just the way everyone's acting, and again, the way this movie is filmed. It's kind of interesting to watch. Also, seems like he hasn't talked to his informants in like years. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like maybe this was like. I don't know, maybe Matei was like, like he hasn't been tested in a while and he's like on his way out. So he's doing a lot. Like this was supposed to be like a light gig for him to do a prisoner transport. But now he's kind of in over his head. Yeah. I don't know how to read this scene because it's like, oh, is he, 
is he getting information from his informants or are they getting information from him? And <laughs> what does this mean later? And it's like with a lot of things in this movie, nothing. It's just interesting <laughs> to watch this interplay. It's process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now you get from here to here. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for something more. And it's like, nope, yeah. nope. Which, like, I understand, like, this is why you cut it out of a movie, uh, but it's the stuff I love being in a movie, even though it does make it more boring. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love this stuff. I love exposition. If I could just make a movie out of exposition and try to make people see, like, why exposition is cool, but I would never do that. But, you know, if I could, it's like, this is, I love this part of movies. Then we cut to Corey, like, parks his car and he lets Vogel out of the trunk, which is just funny every time he does that. Yeah. I was like, like, what's great i mean this is like i'm not sure how big this movie was i mean they make it look big but there's a lot of things where it's like all right we got one gag it's like we got what what are we gonna do with a guy in a trunk and they do like six different things with it it's like really funny (laughs) yeah that's why i say like this movie takes its time with like alarms and eyeballs and scenes and it's like yeah we're just gonna keep doing this because in reality this guy would have to get in and out of the trunk six times it's like <laughs> we're not gonna skip that we're gonna do the work <laughs> we're gonna show every every time well it's like you know he gets in the trunk to try to elude the cops and then the other guy picks up on it and he's like like get out of the trunk but he also knows there's guns in there so now he's being held up and he has to do it but then there's a part where like he gets held up by other guys and then the the guy in the trunk with guns is now the asset to, to your thing it just has like oh this now this works out yeah this kind of psychotic jack-in-the-box thing is really paying off for me it's like this guy pops out with guns and kills people and it's like we're good to go now he did f- my money up by shooting holes through it and it's covered in blood but so they're going to an apartment, which I think this is Corey's apartment. Yeah, they it's, show his, it's like, his abandoned apartment. Because that picture of that girl's in it again. Yeah, and also they show like the, the phone having cobwebs and it's not working. And like of course the lights are on because there's no power to the to the place and stuff like that. Which again, yeah, I don't know what happens when you go to jail. Like, <laughs> like oh, you need somebody to take care of your apartment. Unless like this is why he hates this woman. It's like she was supposed to take care of the apartment while he's gone. And she just went to go with another guy. So. Uh, women such fickle creatures it's like you're not yeah. gonna wait for me while i'm in prison <laughs> when i get out i will do a, yet another crime and end up either dead or in prison again like whoa you're a slut for not hanging out hanging on for me it's like, yeah okay yeah you only go for the successful criminal yeah. <laughs> feckless whore <laughs> isn't that what the french do or is that the italians i don't know uh, probably both. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I don't know the difference. I'm an American. It merges together. Yeah, yeah. it all blends together. Yeah, I mean, what's the difference between New York and Philadelphia? A lot and nothing to, at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, the guys like us from the Midwest, like nothing. It's like ah, it's all sh- it's all sh- heads with weird accents <laughs> who eat at crappy Italian restaurants and you know, <laughs> think they're the kings of the world for living in just a huge <laughs> ant hive. Like, congratulations. <laughs> Looks like fun. Uh, here we have Corey throwing a picture of that woman again, but here's like a you know it's a frame picture and he just throws it in the trash. Yeah, this woman's um, picture, the same picture, I'll, I'll yeah. mind you, the exact same picture, just bl- at different sizes, gets trashed a lot in this movie. <laughs> again, not explained no. or followed up on. Just like yeah, well he's angry about that. Uh, then we cut to like some burlesque, like French maid slash airplane stewardess. Show, dance show going Again, on very kubrick very kubrick yeah. 
Uh, and you basically have kind of like sort of like Playboy bunnies in the background serving drinks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is a strip club. Um, very flat-chested <laughs> with flat-assed like Playboy bunny. Like very 60s <laughs> concept of a Playboy bunny. Like, oh, she's yeah. sexy. It's like, no, she's androgynous. Is what <laughs> to each his own. Um, Matei shows up and a bunch of people like look his way like in worry. It's like, oh no, the cops are here. Matei talks with Santi. He owns does he owns the club. Uh he's worried that Matei's gonna like burn his reputation for being a snitch after he talks to him. He's like, Don't worry, I'm gonna arrest you two days later. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do a forty eight hour hold to like you know, salvage your reputation. (laughs) Like like it's a process, like it's not even discussed as like I got a great idea. It's like, no, this is what we do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which, if that's a thing, where it's like, no, this is what we do to keep your, you know, your intact. It's like, well, don't they do it that everybody doesn't? It, now, don't the criminals know that tactic? And now, uh, now if a cop talks to you, it doesn't matter what it is that you have to assume the worst. Yeah. Oh, forty-eight <laughs> hour hold. Yeah, that old Rochambeau. Right? We know about this. Then we cut to the internal affairs guys like going to Matei's file, and he seems, I don't know, like vaguely satisfied by it. It's like I don't know. <laughs> This man, he has the cats. It's a great, <laughs> you know, did not corrupt. We cut to the next day. Corey's going, uh, like, through the job uh, from the prison guard with Vogel. And then Vogel suggests, like, he knows a former cop who's, like, an excellent shot. Which, again, they don't explain why they need that. But it's like, it's like are they going to be shooting people? It's like, no, but, you know, that's what you kind of expect. It's like, And then we cut to the greatest scene in the movie. Yeah, it's like a weird dreamlike sequence where a guy is in bed surrounded by like reptiles and rats and like crabs like crawling his way. And yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Like, like the spidery crabs, which were obviously puppets, by the way, crawling into bed. Like I immediately knew it's like, oh, this is alcoholic DTs. <laughs> but like the stuff with the chameleons and the lizards, it's like, and the rats, it's like, oh, that looks cool. Like if I was laying in bed drunk. And like chameleons, like with their weird grabby hands and their <laughs> eyes pointing every direction, like came crawling up. I'd be like, "Hey, what's going on, buddy?" Or rats, or like I like mice and rats and stuff. I think they're cool. So it's like, yeah, it was a really dissociated scene of like, is this supposed to be horrible? And then there were frogs, and it's like, "Hey, frogs, great." The only thing I wouldn't like is the spider crab things. Like you, keep those. I mean, I've killed spiders live on the show before. I don't like them. <laughs> But yeah, it was this weird like imagery of DTs. Yeah, um, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, but it's like good because like it's a late introduction to a character, so like you're you're making it very distinctive. <laughs> so it's a good way to introduce. And it, and his poison is Jack Daniels. I like that. It's like <laughs> that's interesting for a Frenchman to just be like, I am a Jack Daniels alcoholic, which is cool. That's like that's yeah, work. Yeah, there's just a bunch of empty, like, you know, Jack Daniels and other beer bottles there. So it's like, ah, he's on the sauce. Yeah. Whereas actually, and take it to... from me as a lifelong alcoholic, I can appreciate his collection. <laughs> was actually, he's, ha- he's having these dreams not because he's drunk, it's because he's trying to, uh, like, go yeah. cold turkey, right? Yeah, it's DTs. So. That's detox dreams where you're covered in spiders and stuff. <laughs> I've never been that much of an alcoholic where not drinking for a month, like, caused, like,. <laughs> chameleons to appear because if that did happen i would think that was really cool <laughs> it's like that it never happened but it's like a room with like one door and he has like a bunch of like suitcases there so it's like i don't think it's supposed to be his home it's supposed to be his detox house or whatever so. yeah sober house 
<laughs> he's creating his own sober living situation <laughs> where like creatures come out of the walls. It's really weird. It's a really weird scene uh, that I loved. I was like, this is cool. Uh, he snapped back to reality by a phone ringing. Uh, that so rings for Jansen. five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy's name is Jansen. He, he picks up the phone. This is our crack shot. Uh, so they agree to meet at midnight somewhere. Uh, we cut to the cops find Rico's guys' dead bodies, yeah. and they're they're thinking they shot each other for a couple thousand. Is it Frank? Is that was Franks, that their money? Yeah, what? yeah. Okay, Franks. Is it Franks. still that, or they switch over the? No, Euro? they're the king of the euros. Them in Germany, okay. right. the only two people that benefit from the euros, France and Germany. <laughs> uh, Matei wants to know where the the money came from, so at least he's thinking like this might be connected because like there's a guy in the loose and then. Or in the same area, there was a couple of guys dead, so it might be connected to our case. Yeah, I mean, Mateo has a great line. It's like the closer he gets to France, the more or Paris, the more bodies we're gonna find. Is something like that? And it's like, yeah, that's actually pretty good deductive reasoning. Um, yeah, I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Yeah, because I don't know the 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 location and everything here, but like, does the movie start in like Marseille, France, and then yeah, it goes Marseille. to Paris? Yeah. yeah. And, how, and what's the do you know the distance between the two? I don't know the distance. I know Marseille is in southern France and Paris is more central France. Oh, okay. So they're moving from the south to the to the central, you know, the, the heart of Europe and the heart of, like, France. Because I just don't know that because there are times where it's like, because, like, Santi's club is in Paris, right? Yeah. And so, like, there's a bunch of times where Matei is, like, going there and, like, back to the uh, the station so I don't know if he's going back to the Marseille station or if he's going to like a Paris station. No, he's in Paris. Yeah, everything's okay. centralized. Okay. Marseille is like the like the hillbilly part of France. I don't know. <laughs> Not the hillbilly part of France. Different part of France. So we cut to Santi's club. Uh, Corey walks in. He announces himself to the maitre d, and so he's expecting Jansen to meet him there. Jansen shows up. There's a couple a couple of cops show up to arrest Santi, which I was guessing that at first because it's just some guys in. You know, they're not even in uniforms. They're just, like, in plain clothes. But like, Yeah, they, they, they look like uh, like detectives from 30s, like, pulp novels. Well, see, I didn't know because, like, I'm guessing those detectives, but they, they could also just be criminals in three-piece suits or whatever they have going on. <laughs> no, they're, like, in Maltese Falcon regalia. <laughs> uh, uh, Corey orders whiskey. Jansen lies and says he doesn't touch the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, he doesn't. He doesn't anymore. Yeah. So he doesn't want to be covered in chameleons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if he touched the stuff, he wouldn't see the chameleon. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Actually. Uh, Matei interviews Santi. Santi doesn't call. Doesn't call anybody. Like not a not, like not a lawyer. Not like anybody. So he's so he's saying like I won't inform anybody. And they'd say. And then he just tells some cops, I put him on ice, which I, I don't know what that means. I'm guessing solitary confinement or something. I don't know. In in the jail. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Corey and Jan- old American detective dialogue that the friendship <laughs> picked up. Corey and Jansen pick up Vogel. Vogel says Jansen and Mente were like classmates at the police academy, or at least I think so. I'm not sure. It could they could have just been classmates in regular school, but I'm assuming here it's supposed to be the police academy. That's what I Jansen, got out of it. Yeah. Yeah, Jansen. They Vogel explains that he like he used to be a cop, but then like, um, I forget like 
well, like gave them away or whatever, but like eventually, like they they couldn't got deal with some. the duality of the situation, the <laughs> corruption, and the uh, yeah, it was it was kind of very philosophical. Yeah, it, it's like it's like I couldn't be a cop and be a good cop because of all the corruption. So you know, I just I just started to drink because I couldn't deal with the uh, the complexity of like cognitive dissonance or something i mean he doesn't say that but that's what's implied it's like i couldn't be a good bad guy i guess uh while they're on the car they go through like needing to case the jewelry store uh so when we cut to K- jansen is, is is casing the joint so he's like keeps going up all like asking for different jewelry and seeing how like it's opened up he sees cameras and all this stuff and like all the basically sensors the something they just call a wall key i was like what's that it's like i don't know it's just a switch with a key yeah you know it's basically, it's basically a, a complex button <laughs> for like this like you know electrical system of it's, stuff. A cr- it's an early form of a crown key <laughs> like found in every vending machine now <laughs> um uh there's cameras the uh, jansen gives them the lowdown there's like bulletproof cases he calls it the electric eye, but I'm good. It's essentially an early form of a laser grid, I guess. Yeah. Um, although here it's not depicted. That's what's supposed to be because you seem kind of like topping over, but they don't. They don't shoot it in the way you modern shoot it, where it's like, oh, let's put a bunch of fog in there, and make the lasers really bright so you can see them all. You know, it's yeah, have, it's not like entrapment with like you know, yeah, um, yeah. Let's really put that camera on Catherine Zeta Jones' ass as she like goes over the invisible laser. Yeah, Catherine Zeta Jones' ass is not present in any of this, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, Jansen goes out to the woods to practice his marksmanship, which is like you know they Vogel was touting was like ah this guy's a crack shot, but we know he's got the shakes from coming off of alcoholism, so he's like this is gonna be a problem. <laughs> yeah, the chameleons are pulling at his arms <laughs> with their weird yeah. got the opposable thumb. Yeah, just that's two opposable thumbs. That's all they have. <laughs> two giant opposable thumbs and eyes that go different directions. I want one of those cats too, the ones with the opposable thumbs. Oh yeah. <laughs> They have those. Kind of, yeah, yeah, they just, but they, I don't know, they just look like they have mittens on the whole time. It's just funny. <laughs> that would be silly. Corey shows up at, like, an, another old acquaintance house, and there's, like, a bulldog Dalmatian thing going on. <laughs> that growls at him while the guy, like, presses a button from upstairs to open the fence. Yeah. Or, you know, like, what is weird? Because it's, like, one house in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but this is Corey's fence, and so he offers like twenty five percent of the cut. So they're gonna steal twenty million dollars worth of jewelry, and they're gonna get twenty five percent of it because he's like, "Hey man, I got." And he's like, "I got, I got a, you know, this is a big deal. So it's gonna take me some time to to sell all this, and it's gonna be really hot. So, <laughs> uh, so you get twenty five percent. He's just like, "Ah, right, cool. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, that's five million dollars. I guess split among three guys." So. You don't have to pay taxes on it, right? <laughs> as long as it's not going to Uncle Franck. <laughs> whatever they call it in France. I don't know, like, what would the, because you know, I'm not in these worlds and I don't know, what would the, because, like, you wouldn't be able to, like, steal that stuff and, like, sell it in France again because they'd pick up on it. So you'd have to, like, sell that to add through some other country, right? Or how would that work? I really don't know how international fencing on jewelry, yeah. you know, worth millions. You can only assume... Uh, cause even if you got a 5% return on, on, you know, like 
25 million you know euros or whatever it would be now is like that's still a lot of money for one night's work <laughs> uh, you just have to you know repeat that quite a bit um i but i don't know how that works yeah. i know like art heists are, are like crazy like they you know someone will steal something from the louvre or some crazy stuff like that and then it'll be sold for like 50 million euros or something into, into private collector's hands yeah and so but i don't know what the guys who actually did the work versus the fences get you know that's always because it's like well, in I mean, the it's bible a, it's always the money changers that get you it's <laughs> not the guys that do the actual work so i mean that's why this stuff always works in like movies because you talk about like the black market and like i don't know how that stuff works it seems like it wouldn't but you know you know it's out there so it's like so you can just make up whatever you want because <laughs> it's not like it's really like that like controlled or like uh like yeah the black market doesn't have a great sanctioning body that provides uh, <laughs> a lot of balance and fairness to what's going on it's, it's what well, it's like they find out like half the things hanging in museums are fakes and they always yeah. find this or, or, or like steve martin gets burned paying 25 million dollars for a fake matisse or something it's like yeah because <laughs> all this stuff is just it's just criminals and uh, you know, and people making fake art. Like, there's so many, there's so much criminality in art. You don't know what's real, because yeah. the, between the guys stealing it, the guys selling it, and the guys making fakes, it's like, yeah, good luck, unless <laughs> unless you're a, like an expert at this, it's like you're gonna get screwed. And the guys are officially inflating the price, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> of the whole art market. Well, it's like diamonds. Like diamonds are a perfect. Diamonds are essentially worthless because there's so many of them but they keep the prices high because they store them in vaults they don't release them all and also because people that like do you know how hard it is have you ever carried have you ever seen a hundred thousand dollars in cash like in u.s no. currency and hundred dollar bills it's a lot of it's like a lot of bulk yeah it's like it's like a a duffel bag full of like hundred dollars and that's if it's packed tight new bills from the bank if it's circulated stuff where it's all fluffy, it's even more. <laughs> but if you can wear that, like, on your wrist, like $100,000 of diamonds and gold, oh, you can pass right through customs. Like, no one says shit. <laughs> so that's another reason they keep all this stuff. Like, the whole art world, like, half of it's crime just so warlords can, like, oh, I have a house in Paris <laughs> with, like, $100 million worth of art in it. Not because they give a shit about art. It's because they can, like, turn that around for fast cash yeah. and they don't have to like there's a reason like in america the largest bill is a hundred dollars and it's not because we lack imagination or we're stupid it's because if we had hundred thousand dollar bills do you realize how quickly and easily you could move drug money through the u.s or <laughs> any other illicit activity you had because it would just be like oh if you had a hundred thousand dollar bill it's like well a stack this big would be like ten million dollars. It's like just stuff that in your pocket, walk right through, and <laughs> out the door you go. I mean that that's the problem. Like in in Europe, when they introduced the euros, they had these like huge denomination bills, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't do that because the only people <laughs> who have those is criminals, and they'll just build some thing in the bottom of their shoe to go to cross borders with, and you'll never be able to control crime. <laughs> and that's the reason we still have coins and stuff. It's just to keep it. It, it used to be it was like it was durable and it couldn't be defaced or deformed it, you know if we made it, it, it coins versus paper or whatever but now it's like oh we have this stuff just to keep it bulky 
so you can't just transport it. Because the Iraqis, like, when they overthrew Saddam, like, they had a billion dollars in $100 <laughs> bills. It filled a semi-truck from the front to the back. Like, that's that's what $100 in billion dollars, it fills a f***ing semi-truck. That's hard to hide. So, yeah, that's what art and diamonds and gold and jewelry and all that is. It's just portable wealth for rich people that won't pay taxes. And I don't blame them. We see the we cut to the jewelry stores like shutting down for the night, so they kind of show the sequence of arming all the security, uh, and, and apparently there's a security guard that just has to live there for the night. What a horrible job! <laughs> I had to give him a cot, so you know, and a, and a TV. So that's a French job for you, one you can sleep through. <laughs> then we cut to Jansen is like preparing a special bullet for something. He like which they show him cool. like pouring molten lead into a cast and all this stuff which this seems like it's like cool it's like shows him like the detailed work he's going through which i appreciate that but this seems like we can cut this from the movie (laughs) yeah we don't really need this because it's kind of like oh he's not really casting those very cleanly like there's just slopping a lot of uh, metal and you can appreciate it is different metals but Uh, you don't know why until he like actually uses it and explains why uh, but basically, it's just showing that he's putting care and like detail into his job. Oh, it's like man with the golden gun stuff. Like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, then we see Corey and Vogel getting ready for something, which I didn't know. If it, I was like, like, oh, they're going to case the joint at night and just kind of see how it's different. But to, no, we're going into the robbery scene. Yeah. I didn't, didn't realize that at the moment. Yeah, for uh, once, this movie like steps on the accelerator. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is jarring. <laughs> we're not going to have an alarm go off for thirty minutes or something. Uh, Rico talks to a to a mob boss who's angry with him about three of his guys being dead. He says three of his boys are dead, which I'm not sure if that meant just like three of his goons or literally those are his children. I don't know. I, I was thinking goons because he wasn't yeah. crying. I think <laughs> if three of your sons were dead, you'd be like kind of emotionally invested in that. Or yeah, not. Probably, I don't know. They're mobsters. Yeah, and you probably want to have them be like low-level henchmen getting money back. So, <laughs> Son, I got a job for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and plus all those guys were like, you know, in their 30s. So it's like, <laughs> and you know, and this guy's like 45 or something. Uh, that's, that's also like people in the 60s and 70s where it's like somebody was 28 looks like they would be 55 nowadays. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, when I watch those movies with like Frank Sinatra from the '60s, and when I realize, oh, he's my age now, <laughs> in that context, is like that should be almost dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, at that time. But of course, that's what you know. Fifty years of cigarettes and booze does for you. Uh, so let me cut to like Corey and Vogel are like walking around the jewelry store at night. Uh, they get into a different building. Which it seems like they're just like buzzing it and people are just letting them in. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're just like going about, uh, which is something I've never dealt with. But that's the thing. And like, you know, if you're living in like apartment buildings, like, you know, there's a a buzzer down below, you hit it. And then like somebody's, all right, all right who's there? It's like, I got a delivery guy. And then you hit a button and it opens up the door to the main place. And then, you know, they come up and deliver something. But I've never had to do that stuff, but it's a pretty common thing in cities and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got that a lot around here. They, 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 like, they like move into a building and it sounds like there's a printing press going on or something. We never see it, but it's just like machinery going on. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there sounds like there's a machine thing running and then there's a party and another one. <laughs> but you never see any of it. You just hear it. Yeah. It's kind of cool and weird. 
Uh, they make their way to the roof via the stairs, which like, oh, that'd be. <laughs> they're also killing, carrying equipment with them, so like that'd be kind of taxing. So you you gotta appreciate the work they're putting in here. Yeah. Then we cut to Jansen, where he's like heading out. He's like at his house, and he's like grabs a guitar case, which presumably has guns in it. Which I don't know if this is probably wouldn't be. That would probably be like something from the '30s, where you have like, yeah, like Tommy guns and like you know like guitar cases and stuff like that. But yeah. Because I know it like became really like iconic in the Desperado series, but uh, that's also here too. So yeah, I don't know. But, like people carrying around musical instruments. I mean, it's probably a, would be more common in France, and maybe <laughs> especially in Paris. Like if we lived in New York, yeah. you'd probably see guys like, oh, he's yeah. carrying musical instruments. He's part of the Philharmonic, or he plays at a club yeah. or something. Um, you know, cellos can cost anywhere from a hundred thousand to a half a million dollars nowadays. I believe it. Yeah. Like you can see people <laughs> carrying those around, like a cello. Case. Oh wow! But you wouldn't see it like around here. Like if I saw someone walking down my street with a cello case here, I'd be like, "Hey, there's a rocket launcher in there, right? This is something <laughs> cool. It's not an actual cello. We don't have like the Ipsy Philharmonic, <laughs> you know." Uh, Corey and Volga are setting up like a rope bridge because they're like, they're like on top of the roof, and there's kind of like just like a. a a center drop place that they can get in it's like a it's just like a tunnel in between the building like in the middle of the building yeah um but it's basically just for windows to look out of the brick of the other windows in the building or whatever it's like weirdly placed windows <laughs> yeah so they're taking like a rope bridge down uh so they're they they reach, they reach like an access point there's basically just a window for the bathroom to the to the jewelry store right there uh, and so they're looking to break in that way uh, the guard gets up and he's like taking a look around and like uh, Corey and Vogel like kind of like hide to the in the corner kind of like the guard did or, <laughs> earlier in the movie. Yeah, just, like off to the side. So Corey and Vogel they put on like white gloves and they start like quietly breaking the glass. Which again, also like I have to mention like yo this is like a long scene, almost except for noises, no dialogue is spoken at this whole time. It's nope. very it's very interesting and neat. So. <laughs> Uh, you almost never see that. <laughs> All right, no dialogue and basically nothing goes wrong. But, so it's just really cool. Just people executing. Yeah, yeah people working on things. <laughs> Skilled technicians, artisans of their craft. <laughs> and they have the coolest robbery masks ever. <laughs> it's like just total Phantom of the Opera type yeah. uh, face coverings. Which I know there was like some trivia thing where it's like, John Woo really liked like this movie and 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 uh and Melville and uh, but I have to believe like who's the Miami Vice guy Michael Mann I have to yeah I have to believe like Michael Mann got a lot of like cues from this guy oh yeah absolutely because <laughs> like you can definitely see like thief in this movie almost. yes oh yeah <laughs> it's like you're watching the same movie I mean it's <laughs> so yeah they're cutting like the glass quietly they get a suction cup out to pull a piece of glass out and then they just like reach in through and undo the latch to the bathroom windows and now they're in the jewelry store but they still remain like super quiet and do everything like kind of slow and methodical uh and then just like they're kind of like standing outside the guard's door and then like i think vogel just like lunges in and grabs the guy all of a sudden they knock him out real quick yeah and then tie him up to his cot <laughs> the old knock him out 
which is kind of it's kind of like the the one stumble in this whole like thing is just doing that it's just very awkward it's like yeah humans are unpredictable so yeah it's gotta be awkward it was a good it scene to... it was a convincing scene because the guard like goes down like he's still sitting yeah like it was kind of a weird it's like okay get him down now get the butt of his pistol and smash it into his head <laughs> and hope the pistol isn't loaded um <laughs> And hope we don't crush his skull and just kill him. Because to knock someone out <laughs> with, by hitting him in the skull is very hard. Yeah. Usually it's I always mean, a concussion. I mean, they're already associated with two murderers, so I doubt they're really caring about that. But, you know, I mean, they make the explicit thing to tie him up and incapacitate yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, if they just knocked him over and the one guy just like shot him in the head twice, <laughs> it'd be like, oh, these guys are irredeemably bad dudes. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and if they wanted to keep quiet and kill him, they could have stabbed him, but they didn't do that. So they are. Yeah, that would have been hardcore to sit there and watch the <laughs> life run out of his eyes and they got a knife in his chest. It's like, wow. <laughs> These guys are dark. Um, we, then we got to Jansen just Especially with those masks on. Just imagine, yeah. <laughs> like, the camera view of the. Just from the guard's perspective, looking up at those masks as the, like, the. It gets gray and the darkness closes in. It's like, whoa. You guys are really bad dudes. So yeah, Jansen's walking the night. He's got his 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 cello case or whatever violin case, or and he's trying to get into position. Uh, we cut to we see the electric eye is just a laser grid, but like, but we can't see it. But we see them kind of like popping over and going under things. They're like, like really like, bright flashlights, is what they did. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of but cool just, for the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't, yeah, I don't know how like people took it at the time because like we know immediately like oh that's just a laser grid that's what they're implying here but it's just kind of like uh, yeah it's just kind of lights in the side of the wall yeah <laughs> that's how it's that's how it's yeah it looks like flashlights shining through a hole I yeah, mean it's better it's... than that but it's roughly what it is <laughs> but you know if they touch the light that on an alarm will go off so that's all you need to know. But actually, if you pay attention to how they're moving, they would have touched the light several times because <laughs> of how they filmed it. But I, that's just something I noticed. It doesn't detract from the film in any way. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy would have been in that beam. It's like, how much of the beam do you have to occlude? Because it's a beam with a diameter roughly like this. So if you occlude like 1% to 5% of it, does it go off? Do you have to block the whole thing? Any part of it? What's the rules? What are the rules of the beams? You don't know. It doesn't matter. But, you know, you wonder. I had a weird incident today. We opened up the garage door and we were like uh, putting a, a ladder rack back on a van. And we finished that and pulling the car out and go to close the, the garage door and wasn't closing. And because it was early in the day and the sun was directly in the light of the sensor and it wouldn't close because yep. the sun was light. And so I had to like get up on a ladder and like block the sun with my hand so we could close the door. <laughs> I had that problem with my old garage door because the sun had just blasted the beam projector lens to the point where the lens itself was cloudy. It would never close. So I was having to open and close it, you know, by hand, basically you just pop it. So finally what I did was I moved the sensors all the way to the top, which is like totally illegal. You're not supposed to do that. Cause it's a safety <laughs> thing, but I couldn't make it work any other way. Uh, and I wanted to buy new, I would have bought new sensors for it, but my garage door opener was 20 years old and those sensors were like $150 a side. Cause uh, <laughs> those were the sensors where it was like as big as a pack of cigarettes and it had a thing coming yeah. out. The new ones are like, you know, the size of your thumb and it's, it's like, Oh, can I put new ones on? No, it won't receive the signal. So then I called the guy out and we replaced it all. 
but yeah for a long time there i had my sensors all the way at the top because the sunlight wouldn't hit them because uh, i didn't have a choice but don't worry people anyone watching it is now to code because i had a <laughs> professional come out and install it nathan succumbed to the man and his safety yeah he pushed me well it was my dog's safety really is the only one who was, i wasn't gonna crawl under the door and have it crush me <laughs> Uh, Jansen, like, again, just rings his way into a building. He just rings somebody's door. Although, I, you figured, like, somebody would just ring a bunch of them and just wait for some. That's what I see in other movies where they just, like, s they just ring the whole thing and wait for somebody to just buzz them in. Yeah. And I don't know who yeah, that somebody's... jaded someone is. It's like, yeah, come on in, kill a bunch of people. Let's see what happens. <laughs> see if tonight's the night. <laughs> Can we do that taxi cab driver scene in my apartment? <laughs> So he makes his way in the building. He like jams the door with like gum or something. Uh, then he takes his shoes off to walk around extra quiet. And then uh, um, Corey and Vogo just let him through the front door. It's like, oh, he's at the drooling place. Okay. Uh, Jansen pulls out a disassembled rifle like out of the uh, out of the uh, cello case or whatever, and along with a scope and a tripod mount, with this is like, he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is. And he's cool. like. That's when you're doing like, God's work when you hook a gun up to a like camera tripod and it's got a big scope on it. But what weirds me out is like, oh, you just reassembled that. None of that stuff's going to be true. Like you, you can't zero that, take it apart, and then have it still be zero. But it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure at that time. They have stuff now that will do that, but it's very specific. Yeah, they didn't have Shay tax back then. So. <laughs> um, so he's looking to shoot like one of the wall locks. Uh, so like he sets up with a tripod and everything, but then like when he goes to like shoot, it's like he figured he just leave it on the tripod, but he's like, no, I gotta trust my skills. You know, yep. he turns off the targeting computers and trusts in the force. Look, you turned off like, the targeting off computer. What's wrong? <laughs> but he does a cool like gun related thing, because he doesn't just take it off the tripod and shoot. He goes up and comes down, and yeah. as soon as he hits it, boom. But he lets himself come down into it. He doesn't uh, like just you know straight arm it, which is like yeah, yeah that so, actually shows yeah, some knowledge. So yeah, like so if you never shot offhand, what that means it doesn't mean you're shooting left-handed, which what always sounds like to me. <laughs> uh, it means you are holding the rifle on your hands and nothing else. Uh, I mean, you can have it on your shoulder too, but so when you're shooting standing it's like so many things are working against you yes uh when aiming they're like like just standing there and aiming you kind of will do this thing where you're like making a figure eight yep um especially for long distance shots because we'd have guys uh like the teachers they would do offhand shots at like 300 yards and so they would do this thing where they'd raise it up high and just start dropping it and then when they hit the target they fire and you just gotta do the timing right but what it does is like it just changes all that like momentum in the figure eight pattern into just a straight line down. By the uh, way, folks, three hundred yard right. shooting offhanded with like conventional like non specifically made weapons is awesome. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't know that's insanely hard to do. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, yeah, because like uh, in the Marine Corps, like all all your offhand shots are at the hundred yard line, and then everything else is either prone or sitting. Yeah, um, and then those even those situations you have different. Like prone is the most stable, and the only thing you have to worry about is there's called oh, is it point of aim or whatever. Basically, it's like 
uh you 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 shoot when you don't breathe so like yeah. when you got everything lined up right you when you breathe the gun will rise up and then when you exhale it'll set down and so you want to line up the shot like when you're not breathing so it's like okay when you're breathing you're up here exhale and just hold your breath and there are mechanisms in video games where that where they'll when you're aiming in a scope it'll say like hold breath and that's what they're mimicking is that like yeah when you shoot when you're not breathing i because... wish there was a button i could press in my head that said, hold breath. <laughs> of course i also wish i had the the only good thing from the dark tower movie with matthew mcconaughey was when he would point at people and say stop breathing i also wish i had that power sometimes um only good part of that movie god damn what an atrocity uh, <laughs> and a great cast too it's like oh idris elba matthew mcconaughey can't miss with this movie oh are you wrong you i mean miss. i love when movies are atrocities with fantastic cast because it's like <laughs> what happened it's like like did is this all just a payday for everybody or did like everybody read the script and it's like this is going to be amazing and then just all fell apart in the middle of production or like how does you know I don't know. That's why I have a podcast called How Did This Get Made? But they usually just cover terrible movies, but not necessarily like promising movies. Yeah. I mean, you only had the Dark Tower to work from as a script. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's f this up. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's hard one. to do. It's not like immediately available to everyone. I don't know, but like, you know, the blueprint for making a, there's so many Stephen King things that are adapted into television and film, and they're of so wildly different quality. Yeah. It's just hard to do that anyways. And that's one of like Stephen King's few like series, because usually he makes, you know, one book and then that's it. And so like, yeah, that that's, that's had a lot of pressure on it. And it was, it was like meant to be a television show for like a decade and then just suddenly became a movie. So, you know, Oh yeah. It's like Ron Howard and the Coen brothers, like someone's going to direct it. And Oh yeah. The guy from no country for old men is going to be the, the uh, play Roland of Gilead. Um, the guy, oh, what's the guy's name who played Anton Sugar? Um, Javier Bardem. Yeah. Javier Bardem is supposed to play Roland of Gilead and they're going to, you know, it's like, yeah, they had this beautiful arc. And then when it all came down, it's like, Oh, here's seventy million dollars to make a like a big budget movie. We're gonna cram almost fifty years of books into like two hours or something. It's like, oh yeah, it's gonna work out great. <laughs> Good idea. Good luck. Everyone bailed on the project, so yeah, that's how that happens. Yeah, uh, yeah, I bet with that one because a lot of times this happens too, where there's just like a lot of like we're in this window where it's like it's got to come out at this time, and then just everything is rushed. And then, like, you know, they hit their time window. It's like the big summer movie's here, and it just bombs horribly. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, if they – say they stuck with their original plan, and, like, HBO is like, we're doing the Dark Tower. We're, we're signing up for seven years. It's like I would still be <laughs> doubtful. Like, I don't know if seven years is enough time. To <laughs> I mean, literally, it's like it's that huge. It's like it's one of those things you should never do. Like what yeah. Peter Jackson did with this uh, Lord of the Rings, I'm just talking Lord of the Rings, not The Hobbit, was amazing. Because it's like, that's one of those things, it's like, yeah, he probably shouldn't do it. Probably can't be done. <laughs> now, he, he did it, but and it did a pretty good job, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 one of those things like, yeah, I don't uh, I don't get it. But anyway, back to the movie. I'm about to... <laughs> I'm about to get divorced here, so we got to finish this podcast. Uh, uh, Jansen gets the shot, and like so all the sensors and lasers go out. There's like a moment where like the 
the lasers like kind of stay on or is like oh did it not work and then they flicker off it's like all right can't continue on uh Corey which is the coolest Vogel's- part of a movie i love this movie <laughs> immediately from this point like oh you just shoot a lock with a gun and then everything <laughs> goes your way like that's the ultimate in brute force but then you find out <laughs> later there was more thinking behind it but anyway go ahead uh, Corey and Vogel start grabbing all the jewelry. Uh, Jensen like sniffs a flask, but then puts it away. Yeah, I um, like that. Which I thought that was gonna like, I thought that was gonna be like a thing because we know there's cameras around. I thought that was like, oh, that's gonna give him away because, because like, yeah, me too. Mate's like, gonna, Mate's gonna see it and like know who he is, and that, that's never a point. But you know, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> a lot of things in this the... movie, it's like, hmm, ah, the red <laughs> circle strikes again. <laughs> Uh, but then Jansen just packs up and leave. He doesn't grab any of the jewelry or anything. Corey and Vogel like wrap up all the stolen go- stolen goods like on their body, which that's got to be a lot of weight. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of platinum um, and jewels just <laughs> wrapped around your body, which is a good idea though, because a couple guys running down the street with big sacks over their back is like, who are the burglars? Ah, <laughs> I see. Uh, they check on the guard and then head out. The guards like pretend to sleep. Uh, Cause he's wake, woken up at some point. Um, uh, Jansen gets the car. Uh, the security guard is able to like hit, the, hit the alarm with his head. Nose, uh, but yeah. Oh, nose. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. So the alarm's going off and then Jansen just picks up uh, Corey and Vogel and then they run off. And so they, even though the alarm goes off, it's at the end of the heist. And so they get away successfully. <laughs> yeah. It only goes off for like two minutes. <laughs> But remember, still no dialogue. So even when the alarm goes off, they don't worry. They don't panic. They don't talk to each other. No, they just drive with squealing tires everywhere, <laughs> which is actually so true because those cars sucked at that time. Uh, so that being the end of Act 2. Act 3, we have Mateus watching the video footage. Uh, he gets uh, – he's – it doesn't really get anything from it. He's like, oh, these guys don't talk. Like, they're smart. <laughs> and they got masks and all that stuff. And that's why I was thinking, like, oh, the, the the flask will give them away. But then he gets a letter. I think this is from the mob saying that they know who the robbers is, robbers are. And they're like, no, it's from the first money. fence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I was confused about that the first time I saw it, too. I had to, like, actually read the description to, like, oh, okay, that's who's doing that. Well, I, mean, there, I think I may have forgot. Maybe there was more mates later on, but there's a point where, like, Rico... Oh, no, it's when Rico's talking with the, the mob boss, and he's like, don't worry, we'll get him back, because that's when you know it's like, oh, not only the cops are after him, but the, also crime crime is after them, Corsican too. Corsican mob is after him, yeah. <laughs> that's who I took it to be. So they have nowhere to run, really. Yeah. Uh, Corey's showing off the jewelry to the fence, and he says it's too hot, and they wouldn't be able to sell it like on the market for like months and so he just he gets out of there he's like okay <laughs> rico so i think it's is rico convinced the fence not to sell the goods is that like the, the whole payback thing yes i think okay uh, this is why i'm getting confused because we have like the the other guy the uh guy that runs the the brothel too shows up so i'm like getting things mixed up um yeah so now they're forced to go elsewhere the cops pick up some kid who's who I wrote whose father is someone important, but it's just, it's Santi's son, and they're booking him for selling pot. Uh, and apparently, like while he, he's just they're just using the kid as like a puzzle or as like a chess piece to get to to somebody else. But apparently, some other cop was interrogating the kid in the meantime, and like they got him to talk and like sell his other like the kids he sells pot to, and then like the kid felt so guilty that he like downed a bunch of like pain pills and attempted suicide like aspirin yeah 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess yeah, aspirin's a very mild pain pill, but you know he dumps, he put a lot of pills down. I guess. Oh yeah, you swallow enough. Yeah, I mean you swallow enough vitamins, you'll die. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a matter of dedication more than anything. Uh, so Santi makes a deal. He's gonna like sell out uh, Corey uh, for info. And so they're going to let his kid go. And I don't think they ever tell him that his kid committed suicide or tried to commit suicide or attempted suicide. Yeah, it's always vague. Like, they're like, get him to the hospital. It's like, ah, but let's talk to his dad with a straight face. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, actually, no, like, Matei goes in there and he's, like, kind of sad. And it's, like, this weird, like, like disposition where it's, like, he actually has, like, he's got him, like, you know, he's got him against the ropes. Like, he should be kind of, like, more stoic and happy. It's, like... There's nothing you do. Like, I'm going to win here. But he actually is like, oh, man, I'm going to win. I'm really sorry about this. Yeah. <laughs> like, this just worked out exactly like I wanted to, except for the whole thing about your kid destroying his liver. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, such is life. Uh, C'est la vie. Uh, Jansen is talking with Corey about the special bullet he made. And explain what's here, because I don't think I picked up on, like, what was special about it necessarily. Okay, the bullet was made out of. Um, there were different alloys at different levels. It was. It was basically like hardness. So like there was lead, and there was some. Other, I forget what other metals he named, but essentially, is in there somewhere. Yeah, but essentially, when the bullet hit, because the metals were softer, they were supposed to like wrap around the collets and the crown, and you know, as it hit, it would fill the tumblers, and it would actually turn. Oh, okay. So he made a bullet that turned into a key, but the kinetic <laughs> force of the impact of the bullet would drive the softer metal into the grooves and then thus open up the, you know, which is like, sounds brilliant. I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> but it's just like, kind of like the quote at the beginning of the movie. It's like, I'm going with this because it sounds cool. <laughs> I, I don't need to know if this is real or not. Uh uh, yeah, that's neat. yeah it is it's a cool idea i, I rewatched that like four times like what okay wait a minute now because i'm gonna have to explain how the key bullet works later um because you're basically Jansen... talking about like a castle key that's like in a pop machine or something so it's yeah. when you stick the key in and it has the grooves cut to different depths that like opens it up so that's what he's doing with a bullet which is really <laughs> cool because he couldn't get to the door because the things were on, so he needed a teleporting bullet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jansen declines his promise cut because now that he's beaten alcoholism, alcoholism that's his reward. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's kind of weird. It's like, no more chameleons will visit me in the middle of the night. Like, huh? <laughs> okay, whatever, dude. Uh, we cut to Matai feeding his cats again. It's almost the exact same scene, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Just a Corey lot of cat at... buttholes in that scene. <laughs> uh, Corey goes to Santi's. Uh, he's looking to meet a new fence, and then Matthias shows up as the fence, and he's the one guy in the group that doesn't know who Matthias is. So. The only uh, guy. It's like, well, let's hope he shows up. I'm going to wear dark glasses and <laughs> fool everyone. Corey and Vogel pack up the jewelry. Vogel's like left behind because he's still a wanted man. Corey picks up Jansen and they go to some country house to meet Matai as the fence. Uh, Corey is showing the jeweler to Matai and then, uh, then Vogel just like busts into the house and he's like, literally, hey, Corey, run. <laughs> yeah, he still got some like, you know, the like the panel door on, <laughs> on his shoulder when he busts in. Uh, he, so yeah, he Vogel comes to the door Matai like is. the Kool Aid man. 
<laughs> it's a really weird scene because I think his foot's like sticking through the door for a little bit. <laughs> it's a strange scene. And it's implied so Vogel, this place is surrounded by cops. Like at this yeah. point. Yeah. Uh Vogel knows who Matai is. He doesn't say that Matai is a cop to Corey. He's just like, run. <laughs> Take the bag. Go. Just, let the yeah, shit he's holding in his hands. Let him keep that. Go. Uh, <laughs> and he does yeah he listens which is a cool scene that's why i like it it's like no he yeah. doesn't grab it or anything it, it's just like go and vogel waits around for a bit it's like why didn't you tell him me why didn't you tell him i'm a cop and he's like no <laughs> and he runs off <laughs> um and yeah so yeah then like they're they're running on foot and they're booking it here it's like in the middle of the night too so that's why i worry about it. it's like oh man somebody's gonna roll an ankle <laughs> yeah in real life it's like oh i'm just like an ankle twist away from you know, freedom being t- snatched from me. <laughs> um, but these are thin uh, Frenchmen. But Vogel's having a gunfight with a cop, the cops, and he loses because the cops are just like, like just popping out of all the bushes. Yeah, guns. these cops are like shooting him 15 times. Uh, Jansen also shows up and he tries to return fire. And it's like, no, he's we know he's off the sauce. He's got his shot. He's got his mojo back, and he doesn't kill anybody. He just nope. die, dies trying to do his thing and doesn't get it off because there's just too many cops. Which I wonder uh, if like is that deliberate? Just like not taking payment is deliberate. <laughs> Does he like I can't kill cops, but I can scare them. <laughs> like you can you can be such a good yeah. shot that you can like wing it and make it look yeah. dangerous, but not actually kill anyone. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking that's it, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, Corey gets shot from the bushes and he's killed as well. I think I, at some point, I think they roll over the body of uh, of Jansen. I'm not sure if he has like a last breath, but he's like, hey, I know that guy. It's like yeah. we just killed him because now Matai is sad about like killing one of his classmates, uh, which I'm not even sure if he shot him or if it was just one of the shots killed him. And then Matei's like facing the internal affairs guy. Uh, and then like a bunch of cops all get waved in. And there's like, oh, there's like 80 more cops here too. <laughs> so uh, Matei kind of has like regret on his face. And like, so I, yeah, I guess killing the cop, the, the former classmate didn't sit well with him. And then immediately cut to credits. Yeah. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. Yeah, it's just a sad Frenchman walking out past this Plymouth Fury, which made it all the way to the end of the movie. <laughs> and then it's like, roll credits. Which yeah, and all our, like, you know, all our heroes, you know, all the bad guys that did the cool heist, they're all dead. Yeah. They get nothing. So. <laughs> which is why I like this movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what really happens. Actually, this is more realistic than he gets the girl <laughs> and lives in the Bahamas the rest of his life. Like, no, this is what really happens. So yeah, yeah, this had yeah. I don't know like the kind of the influence of this movie, but like it's you know a lot of people, a lot of directors cite it as being like influence and stuff like that. But I still like *The Samurai* better because that's a shorter, more succinct movie, and this yeah. is a very long movie. But I still like this guy's stuff. I always like the detail he puts in it, even if it's a bit long-winded. I just appreciate it. Um, yeah, this is this to me. Like I said, this has. This has the, uh, oh, I don't know how I'd say it. It looks like a Kubrick movie in a lot of ways. This movie is beautiful. This is, this, I mean, the Samurai is good too. I don't know how much of this is the director and how much of it's the cinematographer. I think in this movie, the cinematography is a little better. So yeah. it's probably the cinematographer, but this movie looks cool. I mean, just everything about this movie looks really cool. I mean, a lot of French things look cool to me anyway. I like French yeah. things. They're all over my room and house i just kind of like their style and this movie definitely like encapsulates 
a lot of that. Um, it's not style over substance, but there's a lot of style in this movie. Uh, and we're we're sending a probe into space containing the uh, a, a supercut of scenes from the Imperfect Collection that is the Verhoeven Effect movies we watch. And so we have one scene to pick from this movie. And what are we hurling into space this week? We are taking the gun out of the glove box and putting it in the trunk. <laughs> and we're not explaining why we're doing it because that is the whole movie. It's it's a heist movie where it's like we need a sharpshooter. What are the other guys' skills? Well, they can cut glass and climb ropes. <laughs> we don't need, you know, we just we put, we're putting the gun from the glove compartment into the trunk. When the we come to the um, police barricade later, it makes sense why we're doing it. But we're not explaining why we're doing it, <laughs> uh, and we're not congratulating ourselves after it's done. It's like, well, that was the obvious choice because you know the cop would like, oh, I'm reaching into the glove compartment for the registration or whatever they call it in france certificate de motor vehicle i don't know um they don't say vehicle they say uh, de automobile but yeah we wouldn't be doing that so that's the scene i would pick oh i was gonna bore you and just say the the, the high scene <laughs> well yeah but that's it's like oh well we're that would also be baffling because there's absolutely no dialogue and nothing is explained but i just kind of like that yeah would aliens time. be like what what are these rocks that are on these like metals what's like why is this important to everyone i mean i'm sure they would be intelligent enough <laughs> to imply value but like oh he's putting weapons in the trunk why it's like because he doesn't want the lawgivers <laughs> to find them all right, so just the the scene where he's putting the the, the gun in the yeah, because it explains and... all the logic in this movie. The okay. logic illogic of this movie is is like, yeah, we're doing this. We're not explaining why, but it's gonna make perfect sense later. You <laughs> just have to uh, build, follow the building blocks of the movie to the end, which is what's cool about this guy's movies. Because even the Samurai has stuff like this in it too. It's like, oh yeah, this builds on this, builds on that, builds on that, but it's not like obvious. It's subtle. It's not like, oh, this guy learned to pick locks when he was four because his dad <laughs> beat him viciously. You know, it's not that obvious stuff. It's like so, these like these people think, but they don't think far enough ahead to like figure out they're being set up by the fence or something like, which seemed a little obvious to me. But so uh, in the supercut, we're getting from coming from the uh, Red Sonia throne room fight scene <laughs> to a guy putting a gun in the golf compartment. Yeah, it explains <laughs> the human race. <laughs> perfectly unambiguously uh if you like what you heard and how can you you can find us at verhoveneffect.com or search for us on spotify at verhoven effect or just put that in google it should get you there uh you can write our podcast whatever you want but the only thing the algorithm listens to is the highest rating remember you control the algorithm the algorithm doesn't control you uh, which is actually some funny things I've been learning about because a lot of the uh, the AI stuff that's out there right, right now it's not really AI because it never is but that's just a shortcut for things like a computer's doing something by itself. Um, it's like they call it like large language learning. Okay. Um, and and it's specifically it's you know it's taking in what humans do and trying to reinterpret it and put it back out there. You know, and there's all that picture stuff too, but like. And here it's where it's communication with humans where it gets scary. But the thing is, like, they won't let – eventually there's going to be a, a, a point where, like, people are going to want to, like, get rid of all these, like, content creators and just have, like, AIs create the content that people will clickbait on. Mm -hmm. And then there will be a weird thing where there's a feedback loop 
where the nonsense the AI puts out will then reinterpret itself. And then we'll just get the, the, the internet will be nothing but nonsense trying to sell us stuff from companies and it'll completely screw up the internet. <laughs> Is this like this infinite amount of monkeys and infinite amount of typewriters Sla smashed together will eventually produce Shakespeare given enough time. Is that what you're talking about, or, or is it just are no. we just going to be overwhelmed with this wall of minutia no. that means nothing? Well, it's, so it's like right now the AI is learning from the crap we've put on the internet, we've curated. Yeah, but eventually, it's going to be let loose and it's going to write a bunch of stuff on the internet, and then it can write faster than all of humanity, and it's going to start reading from itself, and it's going to start interpreting itself incorrectly and then that's gonna that's going to um exponentially become something else that's unintelligible to humans oh <laughs> the internet of gibberish yes exactly oh can you imagine if an ai like just worked off our content <laughs> it's like just the most ill-informed ai ever <laughs> it would just be psychotic <laughs> But that, that's the thing is like, you know, the, the kind of the check for these people that are like, yeah, we have this AI. It's going to be great. It's like, will you want to learn from itself? And it's like, F no, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't know how to teach itself. <laughs> and so it's not AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. General AI is, is basically like us, but it's a computer. Like it's self-aware. <laughs> it has goals, ideas, concepts of its own, and it wants to live. Just something that parrots something back is gibberish. Is like that's not AI. Well, it's like you know I do a lot of art appreciation stuff on like Facebook. Like yeah, you know, I just like art and uh, images and things. Like a lot of it started with like sci-fi art, and then it became like just art, you know, classic art or art, you know, like you know, pictures from real life or whatever. And I got to be real careful of that because a lot of that's like AI generated art now. And I won't yeah. promote that because like, why would I <laughs> like that? It's just, it's just like, well, that's not really it's like someone's something someone created. It's like, it's got a lot of cool elements in it and it looks nice, but no one created that. Yeah. It just looks cool. Uh, it's kind of well, like, and also just like stole ideas from other creators yeah, and then yeah. he passed it off as its own. So, so I don't like and share a lot of art anymore. Cause like, I don't know what's AI generated. I, I can actually pretty much guess, but, um, yeah, you gotta be careful um, with that stuff. And now I gotta remember edit this part. Cause usually I can like fast forward at this part when I'm editing it. Cause I don't swear on these part usually, but oh well. um, you can get you we have listener support at anchor.fm or uh dot com where you can support us on monthly site on a 99 cents 499 or 999 we have twitter at verhoeven effect facebook Vero effect you can find us on youtube at american greed fact and watch both this and that show live and unedited and we also have t-shirts at below the collar.com slash greed factory so for the verhoeven effect podcast i'm common and i'm nathan goodbye america <laughs>